Welcome to the Voices in Recovery podcast. Voices in Recovery is produced by Freedom's Path Recovery Society, a registered Canadian charity. If you enjoy the podcast, please consider a donation to Freedom's Path Recovery Society. All donations go directly to assisting Freedom's Path in providing their services free of charge and helps us keep the podcast going. We are grateful for any and all donations. This podcast discusses difficult topics such as childhood abuse, drug and alcohol use, sexuality and sexualized trauma, and more. If you are under the age of 18, please speak with your legal guardian prior to listening. The opinions expressed during the podcast are those of the individual and not those of Voices in Recovery or Freedom's Path or any other organization. Thank you for listening, and I hope you enjoy this podcast. This podcast is being recorded on the traditional land of the Blackfoot Confederacy. This consists of the Kainai, Pekani, Siksika, and the Blackfeet in the U.S. We acknowledge the Stony Nakoda, which consists of the Bearspaw, Morley, and Chiniki. We acknowledge the Satina, Huradene, and the Métis, Inuit, status and non-status from all of Turtle Island, and those who are visiting. We are all treaty people. So our guest today is a uh, long-time friend, as we just mentioned, like 17 years. It's uh, Kenny, and Kenny, take it away, man. Tell us your story. And Sure. Um, well, great opportunity to come in here and first of all, see you. Yeah, it's and, good to uh, see you, man. It's been a while. It has been. We, you know, for the people that are listening or whatever, like David and I came into contact with each other when he came into the program. I mm-hmm. might have known his father a little bit from the program earlier. But the thing that, they, like, I think that most kind of always drew me to, to you, David, mm. is just our stories, how similar some of, some of those pieces oh, of our yeah. story are. And, like, I'll cover that off today. But it's, um, I don't know, like... Sometimes we there's a line out of our literature that says cling to the past that or cling to the cling to the the, the, the truth that mm-hmm. our, our dark past is, can be our greatest treasure. Yeah. Right. And I just love that. So uh, I definitely don't hide from my past. I, well, it's um, so true, right? I think it totally is. Yeah. And, and it's not so that I can. It's not just about, hey, that's where I was and this is where I am now. Mm-hmm. It's about being able to help others who are where I was. Yeah. And that's the most magic thing. Right. Um, of being able to relate. So like, uh, you know. I'm in AA, so uh, I've been sober and Alcoholics Anonymous since November 28, 2002. Right on. Congrats, so a couple of years before you, and then you yeah. came com- coming in, and we just uh, had a lot of fun at those meetings for a bunch of years. Yeah. Uh, anyways, I um, here we go with the similarities, and I'm sure at some point the you know the stories will not be so similar. But I grew up in a Christian home with a pastor for a dad mm-hmm. and a pastor's wife, and um, and uh, and. Uh, my dad was struggling with being in the ministry and not uh, feeling called or, or, or mm-hmm. like he belonged there. Yeah. So I, f- I always felt like my dad was never living in his truth, right? Mm-hmm. My dad was never, uh, my, you know, and, and I, dad, if you're listening, I love you. And this is a story that we've, we've come to mm-hmm. together. Um, and it's been an interesting journey for me to understand where my parents, con- what their context is. Yeah. Like, and that's just been a part of growing up in this program and in my recovery is, is that forgiveness piece comes a lot easier when I know that we're all kind of just struggling with our own stuff. Mm-hmm. And we've been handed a lot of stuff, too, yeah. from the generations above us, our parents, you know, whatever. And so, um, you know, you, you never really get to compare or, or judge or make a, a, a judgment on your upbringing until maybe you've had a chance to compare it to what others have gone through a little bit. Exactly. And yeah. kind of go, man, this isn't normal. Yeah. Right? And, that wasn't uh, so bad or... Right. Yeah. Yeah. And, my, and my parents loved each other, and they loved us boys. I have an older brother, but they struggled with... Uh, with being in love with each other. And so there was just not a lot of love in my home, mm-hmm. you know? And uh, it, was a, it was kind of a cold place. It was a, it was a bit, uh, you know, like a, 
like um, maybe a bit disciplinarian, mm -hmm. maybe a little, uh, there wasn't just a lot of fun in my house. Unfortunately, my house was never the place where I brought friends over, yeah. you know. Um, and I, ha I have an older brother, and my brother did and always has and still does really look up to my dad and sort of all of that, um, the, the, the sort of the stuff that made my dad, mm -hmm. the, the religion and the, you know, the, the, the sense of duty, you know, mm -hmm. to carry on a family tradition. And that's what it was. I have a line of pastors and missionaries mm -hmm. in my family that goes back like four or five generations. Oh, wow. Yeah. I got, uh, so, you know, I, I definitely got pastor's blood in me, mm -hmm. you know, and, uh, <clears throat> well, that makes for a strange life for sure. <laughs> it sure does. <laughs> yeah. I was kind of, I was never a true pastor's kid because my dad, as I mentioned, was kind of struggling with being where he was. Mm -hmm. And so left the ministry when I was quite young, okay. I was four or five years old when he left the ministry. And then yeah. he had to kind of try and get into a career in the mainstream world, you know, yeah. uh, after that. So like, honestly, I never really got to know my dad. I just never really got to know my dad. My mom did most of the, most of the, the child raising while my dad was out doing his thing and make, you know, trying to make money and support us. And he did a great job at that. Mm -hmm. Um, but, uh, there, th like I said, there just wasn't a lot of warmth in my home. And so I started to kind of notice that I think as, as, as like I got a bit older and I started to feel a little different. And, um, I, uh, I never really started to experiment with any drugs and alcohol. Mostly, mostly I'd say because it was just inaccessible to me. Mm -hmm. I was quite sheltered Yeah, and I wasn't exposed to things. I had strict curfews and strict rules that I, and I just, you know, as a young person, I, I, I never went to a party all through high school. Never wow. once. And the other interesting thing about myself personally that I, that I, that I hear sometimes in people's stories is, is I never really was a rebel. Mm -hmm. I was never really a shit disturber. Yeah. I was never really a, I'm not going to rock a boat. And that was more, not because I was such a good kid. Mm -hmm. It was because I didn't want to get in trouble. Yeah. I just didn't want to get in trouble. And so I learned early on how to avoid consequences yeah. and avoiding consequences, um, sometimes gave the illusion that, oh, that kid's a perfect kid. Mm -hmm. he's, he's such a well-behaved kid. But inside the mind, mm -hmm. I was just calculating all the time. And I was, you know, I, so I had, a, I had a, you know, a couple of, I would say, in the, in the development of a normal adolescent, normal child, I had a, a couple of, you know, sexual experiences, but with my friends at my own age, okay? Mm -hmm. So that, I'm not saying these were traumas. Yeah. This was experimentation and exploration. However, it, it was nothing that I could feel safe talking about at home. Mm -hmm. So I had a secret. And I went, it went underground yeah. and from a young boy, you know, cause we all in, when we're alcoholics and addicts, a great, you know, journey for us or a great, uh, a great, uh, uh, goal of ours is to try and figure out why, you know, and, and, and we'll never really figure out why, but we can get some clues, mm -hmm. you know, we can get some clues. And I started to feel different and I started to feel my biggest problem growing up was I just felt like people weren't who they say they were. Yeah. So I developed this mistrust of people. And I saw in my own home languaging that suggested love, acceptance, forgiveness, but reality that was cold, hostile, mm -hmm. and, and, you know, resentful yeah. and just not very fun. So I just, it didn't add up to me, but rather than like protesting, I mostly just, like I said, I kind of went inward with it and I just started uh, basically just kind of charting my own course and, and, uh, and, and, and learning how to just avoid consequences mm -hmm. and just, you know, be in situations um, but I never really picked a side on anything ever. I, that's, and that, you know, it's so interesting because that's still who, how I am today. Oh yeah. Like you'll never out, you'll never hear me attaching myself to an issue. Yeah. I like to remain very pragmatic. I mm -hmm. feel like it fosters more communication and, and I might have my opinions, but so I learned these things when I was a child. I learned how to survive in a, in a loveless home. Mm -hmm. Right. But, uh, that created, as I now have discovered a very large love void mm -hmm. in my heart. Right. So where I didn't have acute trauma, abuse, neglect, yeah abandonment, um, the subtle forms of all of those same things are 
equally as destructive over time. Yep, absolutely. Equally as destructive over time. And I, I found myself without an identity, really, not knowing who the hell I was by the time mm -hmm. maybe high school came around. Yeah. And I was uh, not wanting to be anything like my brother, who was following in the footsteps of my father. And I just had no kind of just who am I? I just didn't really know. I mean, but and yet I didn't have I didn't have I, I had a really I, I, I liked life. You know, mm -hmm. there's one thing about me. I, even when I was quite in the, in the darkest places, I somehow had this optimism. And I got to believe that that's what kept me alive sometimes. Yeah. Just the will to live, you know. Um, OK, so by the time high school ended and I was a fine kid, I never got really into any trouble, um, but I never really excelled at anything either. Mm -hmm. I just kind of got through and didn't make any waves. I li everyone liked me. And uh, I really didn't feel like I had any enemies, although I didn't like everybody. Mm -hmm. But I knew how to, I knew how to even be accepted and liked by people that I didn't like. Yeah. Which again is a skill, but also a bit of a manipulative tool. Mm -hmm. It just depends on how I choose to use it, right? Um, so yeah, the identity-less child had had grown up and uh, really just didn't know what the hell I was going to do, and and I'd started to just kind of uh, just exp I would say normal experimentation of. Uh, you know, uh, drugs, marijuana, you know, like not even anything serious uh, as far as hard drugs where I went. Um, but it was for me it, in those days, it was about the uh, escape and it was about the getting away with something. Mm -hmm. And it was about I'm going to do something for me that's that, that, that's for me. Yeah. And, and I think that most kids go through some everybody goes through some kind of version of that where they get out there and test their wings a little bit and they make some bad decisions. Right mm -hmm. now, I made some bad decisions. Um, but when you when you when you combine bad decisions or a string of bad decisions with a condition of alcoholism or addiction, mm -hmm. then you're in big trouble. Yeah. Because I think some kids, you know, I have a 21 year old kid son, and he made some bad decisions along the way too. Mm -hmm. But when you don't have when you're not saddled with addiction, you know, and yeah. I'm talking about bodily, yeah, you know, the, the bodily condition of addiction, then I don't know. Like I said, it's just so I had that though, and I didn't know I had it until I started out drinking. Yeah. Um, but what a what a sweet relief from I didn't know what I needed relief from. Yeah, that booze was giving me. I didn't know what I needed relief from, but I just know that it felt better to not be in the present mm -hmm. when I was about 17, 18 years old than it did. So it hurt to be alive, you know, it hurt. Yeah. You know, it just kind of yeah. hurt. I had I just been I just yeah, I just didn't know what the hell I was who I was, mm -hmm. to be honest with you. Um and so I was at that point incredibly impressionable. Yeah. And I didn't have a high opinion of the, my upbringing or the people that were, you know, the, 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 the sort of the pillars of my upbringing. I didn't have a high opinion of them, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. I, didn't, I didn't really respect or trust them or want to be like them. So I was very moldable. Yeah. And uh, <clears throat> I found myself, uh, moved to Calgary when I was 17 out of a small town. I grew up in Strathmore, actually. And uh, when I got to Calgary, uh, of course, the limits came off of me because I wasn't under a, a regime of a home. You know, and I'd actually, my dad sent me to Bible college in, uh, in a failed attempt to try and reform me, I think. He said, oh, did he? I got some money saved up for your education. Dad, I love you if you're listening. But, you know, he's yeah. got some money saved up for my education. And, 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 and his decision to, to, kind of, uh, to kind of remedy what he saw as some bad decision-making mm. on my part was to send me to Bible college because yeah. that worked so well for him, mm -hmm. you know. It worked so well for him. So well, you know, yeah. landed him in a career that he hated, <laughs> and uh, you know. Anyways, um, so, so I, I don't mean to laugh. So, but no, that's, no, it's, that is know, pretty funny though. I lo like, yeah. Um, it's like do what I did, even though I hate it. Even though it didn't work out at yeah. all for me. Yeah, you know, that's very strange. So I thought, well, at least it'll get me out of the damn house, right? So mm. I went out to Regina and spent uh, a semester out there before they politely asked me to leave. So, <laughs> <laughs> and at that point, I came back to Cal. I came to Calgary, and then I was living on my own for the first time. Um, I'm tempted to ask why they asked you to leave, but I kind of think I might know why they asked you to leave. 
but I won't. I just didn't want to be there, man. Yeah. You know what I mean? I just didn't want to be around anybody on that campus. Yeah. I didn't believe in in the place. I didn't believe in the I, I just didn't want to be like those people. So I just thought, well, I'm here on my dad's dime and it's mm-hmm. at least not there. So I had fun, but I was, you know, I was just not there for the right reasons and I hated it. I just yeah. hated it. So um so that that ended and I uh I decided then that I was probably going to need an education. So I did uh, in fact enroll in cooking school. I'd been cooking in restaurants and I really my whole working life up until then, which was just my teenage years. Mm-hmm. But the restaurants always provided a good um, kind of a pirate chef atmosphere for me. Yeah. You know, where I had no real identity or kind of uh, those pillars at home, I didn't think. Mm-hmm. Or, or at least I thought my pillars were a bit shaky. Yeah. You know, um, and it's not like the pillars in the pirate ship at the restaurant were more <laughs> <laughs> were more solid, but these were people that I could at least rally with. You yeah. Know? And, and I remember there's a line in the big book where our, our writer, Bill W., says, I was a part of life at last. Mm-hmm. And he'd moved out from home. Yeah. And he was experiencing life for the first time. And those are just powerful moments in a young person's life. And I say big again, time. that's a time where you can stand up, fall down, scrape mm-hmm. your knees. But if you combine it with trauma or something or addiction, or something, then you're in big trouble, right? Mm-hmm. And I, I unfortunately had that addiction piece back yeah. then. You know, I had, unfortunately then, it turned out to be very fortunate. But um, it was. It, I moved to Calgary, and um, like, like I said, those limits came off on me, mm-hmm. and so I just uh, I uh, developed a taste for alcohol, and it's in my family. My my grandfather died of alcoholism with his legs removed above his knees for the last oh, 15 geez. years of his life, and and strange enough though, David, I still idolize him. Yeah. Uh, is my mom's dad, not not the not the not the revival preacher. Yeah. My mom's side. Your, your mom's and side. the hard partying, drinking, you know, yeah. uh, side of my family, and um, so my grandpa. Smoked cigarettes and drank beer until the day he died, and, and was isolated in his home with no legs. Mm-hmm. And yet, I still looked up. Uh, I still looked. I didn't look up at him. I looked directly across at him in his wheelchair. Yeah, <laughs> and with with wonder. <laughs> I'm not even sure I should laugh Sorry, at that, but I'm, I laugh. There's levity. I just yeah. Why not? Um, well, we're not a glum lot, right? Not a glum lot, right? Yeah. And uh, I did. I looked up to those people. They were the heroes of my life. Mm-hmm. These people that I thought lived more richly and more bigger, and you know, whatever. Yeah. So it's just what I was being influenced by. And um, anyways, I got to Calgary and I developed this taste for drinking and I really loved it because I'd never done it before and it was really fun. Um, I'm, I'm, an alco- I'm a chronic alcoholic and when a chronic alcoholic starts to drink, it's, it's bye-bye, it's mm-hmm. bad news, it's, it's trouble in a hurry. Yeah. You know, I was not a slow, uh, I don't do, <laughs> how you do anything is how you do everything. Yeah. And I hit it hard and fast and I liked it and it felt good. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, what's all the fuss about? Mom and dad, you're missing out. This is amazing, right? I don't, yeah. so I was kind of like, uh, I think I was a bit mad and I felt like I had a bit of time to make up, mm-hmm. you know, really here yeah. I am in the big city living on my own. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just, nothing bad had ever really happened to me. Mm-hmm. Okay. In my life, nothing bad besides, like I said, the slow burn of, you know, a, an upbringing without a lot of love, yeah. which is bad. But like it, I'd never it, had any acute, like I said, trauma yeah. or incidents of okay. Yeah. So, <laughs> I start, I just started drinking, and I, I because I had no context to how people should drink, I just thought that booze was to get you drunk. Mm-hmm. I didn't know anything about social drinking. Yeah. I thought it's all or nothing. If I'm going to drink, I'm going to get drunk because mm-hmm. why waste the money on it if I'm not? Yeah. What's the point? You no, know, really. Yeah. And that's kind of still how I feel. Mm-hmm. <laughs> not that I drink anymore, but I, I yeah. remember thinking that and thinking it like. Why would I drink if I'm not going to get it wasted? I still think the same. Thing. Exactly. Yeah. I, anyways. That's so, why I don't drink, though. Is because exactly. Good, good, good yeah. point to make there. Me neither. Um, but uh, yeah, I started drinking, and, and I blacked out pretty much one of the first few times I drank seriously, mm-hmm. and uh, went back to it immediately. Uh, you know, shortly afterwards, and and uh, this is, I guess, where my story starts to get a little more um, 
you know, unusual or, or you know, personal to me. Mm-hmm. Because, I mean, every, everybody moves out and goes to the bar and gets wasted and blacks out. I mean, yeah. pretty much, you know. Like, but um, uh, <clears throat> I started to, uh, you know, just by kind of happenstance, I found myself with some friends of mine in a, in a gay bar. And I, ha- and I happened to be exposed to cocaine for the first time. And I remember feeling like, man, I'm really scared of that drug, you know. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm, I'm scared of it because, uh, A, I've never seen it. And I, I had this weird small town kind of opinion about it where I'm like, isn't that a big city American drug? Or, you know what I mean? Yeah. And, and I just didn't know. This was the mid-90s, you know. Like, I, it was a long time ago. And I had a lot of ignorance to, well, for sure, the cocaine. And, and also to gay, to homosexuals. Mm-hmm. Uh, I found myself in this gay bar and I was completely homophobic yeah. and scared. And just like in this strange new world. Um, however, shortly after I got to this strange new world, I, I found the music to be quite enjoyable. I found the lights to be nice. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the party was nice. The gay guys were sure giving me lots of nice attention. And, mm-hmm. and I didn't even lose my virginity, David, until I was 18 years old to a woman. Mm-hmm. So my, I, I, sex was never talked about in my house. You know, mm-hmm. um, like I said, that incident I had as a young, young, young boy was just kind of swept away by me and never to be brought up again. And, and uh, I think that may be generational as well you mm-hmm. know I, I don't know if, if things like that were talked about easily in a lot of homes uh, not in not in ones that i knew maybe those cool hippie parents that went to woodstock and yeah. stuff you know, like, yeah but, uh, my parents avoided woodstock and went to bible college so <laughs> <laughs> and uh my dad was busy dodging the draft <laughs> my dad dodged the draft too my dad yeah. was in america and he actually yeah. came to canada to get rid of the draft yeah yeah, yeah. and uh so uh okay anyways uh, i found myself just drinking a lot and i was in this i was in this bar the new environment and and I, I really liked it. And cocaine, I like I said, was this drug that I just thought, man, it's just like it's the next level. It's this ain't pot. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. This, this isn't. This is a serious drug. And uh, but, you know, I eventually tried it because of just you know my friends were doing it pretty much. And uh, and uh, the first couple times I did cocaine, it was just kind of like, man, what's the big deal here? Yeah. You know, like I you know before that, it's like smoke a joint. Okay, I'm high. Mm-hmm. You know, and I'm like I did these couple lines of cocaine. I'm like, well, what's what's supposed to happen? You know? Yeah. <laughs> Nothing's happening, guys. <laughs> and. Uh, and they're like, dude, why, why are you not dressed anymore? Because <laughs> nothing's Man, happening. Have you seen yourself on the dance floor tonight? Man, you got moves that you don't even know you had, right? <laughs> so anyway. Um, I just imagine that's what I would be like on cocaine. Like, no idea what I'm doing. Yeah. Well, no, it was just because, yeah. again, I just didn't know. I, was yeah. a lot of, I just had a lot of ignorance around these kind of things. And, and, uh, but cocaine certainly started to work for me, even though I didn't know what to expect. And, mm-hmm. and I, felt this, I started to feel this kind of, you know, this, this, this newfound kind of uh, euphoric sort of sense of, like, power and... And like, uh, I thought I was good looking and I'd never thought that before. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I, this is a very common thing I hear in meetings. That's why I'm sharing it because I relate to it. You know, mm-hmm. I totally felt at that time that like, oh, this is maybe what I've been missing all these years. And, mm-hmm. and this feels really, really good. And, and, uh, you know, I, I, I don't think anything really too bad happened those next six or eight months. Um, I was trying to maintain my schooling. I was in school and for cooking and I was not doing well. I was just drinking, man. I was drinking and, and doing cocaine all I could. And, uh. I guess the my life really changed when uh, some some when I had a violent sexual trauma mm-hmm. at the hands of a group of men, and uh, it was uh, you know um, it was the promise of alcohol and drugs that got me to this place. Yeah, and uh, you know um, a bad decision, and uh, it led to some serious consequences for me as a 19-year-old man, young man, and um, so that really was the first major incident that kind of started to shape you know, I would say the consequence uh, mm-hmm. aspect of my addiction. Because, yeah. you know, like I've heard it said sometimes when you're an addict or an alcoholic, that like in the beginning it was a lot of fun and not a whole lot of problems, you know. Yeah. And then there might be this phase of a few years where it's like, it's pretty fun, but there's mm-hmm. some problems, yeah. you know. 
And then for the last however long it is, you yeah. know, hopefully not long for some of us, and mine thankfully wasn't that long, yeah. but it was really bad, or sorry, it was no fun, I should say, yeah. and a lot of problems. Yeah. All problems. And, and, and this was the first problem, and mm. it was a bad problem. I got, uh, I got raped by a group of men. Mm. And so not only that, did that uh, have an effect on me from the physical point, but it also started to, to, to make me hate gay men. Yeah. Um, like across the board. Yeah. I, I just, they, they were all in one big evil bucket for me. Yeah. You know what I mean? Because they'd hurt me. You know? And that was your exposure. Those were it. bad men. Yeah. You know, and they were bad men that hurt me. And, and it was my exposure. So I carried that into what eventually I ended up doing with the trauma. Mm-hmm. Um, after the hospital and the police and the, do you want to press charges and all that kind of stuff, you know, uh, I was left with, what are you going to do now? And uh, it was a very loud voice in my mind. It was, what are you going to do now? In fact, it was almost audible. Mm-hmm. What are you going to do? It was panicked. I had this panic feeling of like, you know, what am I going to do now? Yeah. And so I was like, I started to go through my options, but it, this was in the week leading afterwards. I was mm-hmm. at home recovering. Yeah. And uh, the options were, well, let's see, you could, uh, you know, go to see a counselor or a therapist or mm-hmm. go get a self-help or group or something, or maybe call your parents or family or something and, and or whatever, the church, you know, who mm-hmm. knows? All of those seem like fine ideas, but none of them were, made sense. None mm-hmm. of them were like, yeah, I'm going to do that. I until an idea came to me that it was almost like it clicked into place and it said this, make those, can I swear? Yeah, of Make course. those motherfuckers pay. Yeah, yeah. That's what the voice came. Yeah. And I didn't know what that was going to mean or what that was going to look like. But it sure felt right. Mm-hmm. Make those motherfuckers pay. They hurt you, mm-hmm. so make them pay. Now, I'm not the type that's a big tough guy and I'm going to go beat people up. Mm. But what I did do is I uh, turned, turned that trauma incident into sex work mm-hmm. for about the next two years of my life. Yeah. And uh, during that time, I dropped out of school. Um, my addiction cycle had begun then. Trauma, great uh, uh, emotional pain of dealing with the trauma in my mind and in my thinking. Mm-hmm. Uh, one way to deal with that is to shut it off from drugs and alcohol. Yeah. But at that point, because of my addiction progression, um, I needed quite a bit to shut it off. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Couldn't just drink a six pack and a gram of blow. You That's know, the shady part about it. That was bad. My, yeah. my, it was a young man. I was healthy, and I, mm-hmm. my, my thirst and, and appetite for the drugs and booze were incredibly big. Yeah. And with this trauma that was incredibly, it was a serious trauma. I'm not going like, to, mm-hmm. you know, I can't downplay it. Uh, anybody who's been through anything like it knows what I'm talking about. It's that life event, changing. Yeah, it carves a hole out of oh, it. Right? It's incredibly yeah. life-changing. Yeah. Didn't even really realize it at the time how life-changing it was. Yeah. And in fact, David, as, I, as, I'll, as we'll share in 20 minutes from now, I'm sure you'll hear me talking about more of the present day mm-hmm. and how in this last year, I've finally started to face some of these haunted, haunting sort of mm-hmm. themes that have held on uh, 20, over 20 years. Yeah. Um, so I worked, I did, I did sex work. I was sleeping with men, um, gay for pay, prostitute basically. Mm-hmm. And it was never really a time for me to ask, who are you or what, you know, what, you know it was never a time to really uh, contemplate um a sexual or a, or any kind of uh, identity exploration. Yeah, it was just a time to fucking survive. Yeah, you know, I'd been handed this awful little thing, and I'd already, like I said, I'd already been making some pretty rough decisions and living a pretty reckless life. Mm-hmm. And then this happened, and it was just it sent me right. Yeah. It just sent me. And um, well, that's a catalyst that pushes people off the cliff. Right? Yeah, when I chose not to take the help that I knew was available for me and to yeah. try and fix it myself, that was the critical decision that yeah. you know. So uh, yeah, the. Uh, Thankfully, I never had to stand on a corner. Mm-hmm. I never had to stand on a street and solicit tricks. Yeah. Although I know friends that did. I was set up with um, wealthy, um, you know, wealthy gay or mm-hmm. you know, sometimes they were married straight men. Yeah. Straight men in the closet. 
who wanted just a little boy toy for the weekend or take on a trip or spend the mm -hmm. weekend at their house or whatever. And I was pretty good at it because I didn't really care anymore. Mm -hmm. I thought, well, you guys took me across a line that I was I don't know if I would have crossed. Yeah. It's my job to, to figure out the sexual choices I make. Mm -hmm. and, I, and, 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 and it's my journey of, mm -hmm. of exploration and discovery to figure out who I am. Yeah. And I felt it was hijacked in, in, a, in a weekend, mm -hmm. you know, in a night. And uh, <laughs> sometimes you hear that the, someone will hurt you once. Someone will hurt you once. But then you can hurt yourself a thousand times. Mm -hmm. You know, you can reopen that same wound yeah. by not healing a thousand times. And so that's what I did for a long, long, long time. Anyways, mm -hmm. two years of sex work, which was enough to... You don't have a long career in prostitution. I'm just generally... <laughs> You know, especially in the world that I was in, mm -hmm. it's just, it was fueled by extreme addiction. And, and at that point, I was starting to smoke cocaine, like smoke, mm -hmm. you know, crack and and uh, living in the basement and, and not paying rent and just, you know, yeah. living the life of a, of a parasite and a survivalist. Minute to minute. Really, absolutely. Yeah. And and Bill talks about in the book, for the next two years, I hardly drew a sober breath. Yeah. And that was me. I, I, I never had sex for pleasure, mm -hmm. but maybe the first two two partners I had in my life. Yeah. And after that, it was work. Yeah. So, um, oh man. And uh, that work almost killed me. And it, without getting into all the details, I was I was living as a, <laughs> I was pretty good at at at, at not being coming homeless. Mm -hmm. Like, because I had no income besides my sex work at all. Yeah. And I wasn't really. Uh, a, no one was aware of my existence. I didn't pay any bills mm -hmm. or anything. And um, so I was the final three or four months of this uh, phase of my life, and I was uh, I found a. I'd actually been told to ask to leave by my, my, I was living with these two very kind gay roommates who uh, had let me live in their basement. I met them at the gay bar in my partying. Mm -hmm. And, and uh, they knew what was going on and they, they said, man, you need to get on your feet. Yeah. You know, uh, you can live here, but you know, you gotta be making motion in the right direction, dude. Mm -hmm. And after nine months of me living for free in their basement, they finally called me upstairs one day and said, and I stole, every time they had a little gathering the mm -hmm. next morning or at three in the morning, I'd be up there going through people's pockets, you know, finding flaps of cocaine and 20 yeah. bucks. And it was just an absolute, you know, because David, honestly, any, th any time that I could get drugs without having to fuck a dude. Yeah. That's a bonus. Like, yeah. So if you could steal, if yeah. you could, you know, somehow turn, turn a little bit of cash, mm -hmm. you know, without having to do, you know, do that. I do a, know, yeah. It was a damn bonus. Yeah. So, so I'd I'd I would have much rather steal. Absolutely. Yeah. I would steal small things, yeah. CDs, take them, get 15, 20 bucks, mm -hmm. you know, 15, 20 bucks here, 15, and then buy a couple grams of Coke. And just, yeah. and at that time, I, I had no income and I, I just didn't want to sleep with dudes to get money anymore. It was so mm -hmm. painful. And so I, my using kind of adapted and mm -hmm. I became very, very opportunistic. I would mm -hmm. take what was given to me all the time, I would steal when I could. Um, and I would also just kind of go to the bars sometimes and just get people to buy me drinks and act, you know, and, and, and just kind of manipulate and do that. Mm -hmm. uh, there was not a lot of nights where I would buy a couple eight balls and then have a huge ripper of a night because yeah. life was not a party for me. There wasn't party time. Life yeah. was surviving. And so I would normally keep a, cram a gram or two of cocaine in my pocket and just dispense it slowly throughout the day mm -hmm. to myself because I panic would come over me if I thought about not having drugs. Yeah. Like extreme panic because that meant I'd have to face the fucking reality mm -hmm. of, of what my life had become. Yeah. Um, so that, you know, you can't live like that forever. Hey, you could do sex work for a decade or two if you're not smoking crack, you know? Yeah. You know, and bless those, those, those that do, yeah. you know? Um, but that wasn't my experience. My experience was one of desperation and survival. Mm -hmm. And that was the only way I knew how to make money and get my drugs. So it all came to an, uh, to an end at, at, at just, it, you know, I started to have these, I, I would call them like maybe cocaine psychoses mm -hmm. moments. Um, 
where I started to have extreme kind of uh, dark thoughts and yeah. not necessarily take my own life thoughts, but just, just un sort of, uh, just unspecified darkness mm -hmm. was creeping in and totally taking over my life. Yeah. And it started to become very, very hard to, uh, be mm -hmm. drunk or sober yeah. or high. Um, so it was getting to that critical place of, you know, the jumping off place, mm -hmm. um, which I relate to so strongly in the, in the book, the 12, or the, the big book, you know, where we come to that place of like, it's awful, it's desperate, and I have a decision to make. Am mm -hmm. I going to continue to go on with self-will and, and make probably and die? Or am I going to accept, accept help, spiritual help? And so I knew nothing about the program. I'd been, uh, had a couple of um, interventions pulled on me by different friends and even waitresses at restaurants and stuff. And so I'd had some basic experience or exposure, I guess you could say, with uh, recovery programs, um, uh, things like EDAC. Mm -hmm. and, uh, but, but I really didn't know much about 12-step at all. Yeah. And they'd go into these little week or these week-long detoxes every once in a while, three or four times it happened to me. And, mm -hmm. And you'd have to attend the meetings, but it's amazing when your mind isn't open and you haven't truly become willing mm -hmm. that like, the, it's not like the book was different then, yeah. you know, and, and, and it's not like I didn't know how to read, mm -hmm. you know, my ears worked just fine. Yeah. You know, it's that I just wasn't ready to hear the message. And none of it gets through. I was yeah. still sitting on a hill of self-will, Yeah. you know, and kind of going, nah, I think I got this. I just, you mm -hmm. know, I just got to figure it out and maybe make better decisions and, you mm -hmm. know, Forgetting completely about the fact that I had a gaping spiritual, emotional, traumatic situation in my life that, that you know, I couldn't just, just snap my fingers and make go away. Mm -hmm. um, so I, uh, in desperation, I, it was actually, under, it, it's a pretty sad story, but my, my, my girlfriend at the time actually made a suicide attempt while I was away for a weekend. Mm. And uh, man, every once in a while, my high school friends, because I was only 21, 22 at this time. Yeah. Sometimes my high school friends would show up and they want to go party in and they had no idea about my life. They had no idea that I, you know, was doing what I was doing. Yeah. And they just thought it was, let's go hang out at, you know, mm -hmm. Electric Avenue and get wasted. And yeah. So I would. Then I just would leave those experiences kind of just feeling like, man, I just have no one mm -hmm. that knows me. Yeah. Like even my best friends don't know me. And it, isn't that a trippy thing, man? It is. But I would still show up and act like everything was okay. Yep. You know, um, protecting this, this, this survival life I was, mm -hmm. you know, that I built. Um. Uh, <clears throat> okay, so uh, the suicide attempt was very traumatic. It was very traumatic for me to come home to. There was medical personnel and there was neighbors freaking out and, and uh, my girlfriend thankfully pulled through, um, but she was in the hospital and I went to the hospital to see her and her family was there and they'd never met me. They'd heard about me. She was quite young. Yeah. <laughs> she was 18 or possibly even 17, a runaway from home. And her mom saw me and goes, are you Kenny? I said, yeah, I'm Kenny. I, I went to the hospital out of obligation. My mm -hmm. neighbor said, Lisa's at the hospital. You better go. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, go to the hospital. <laughs> yeah. Like, you know, the girl almost clinging to life, you know, like, um, really couldn't be bothered. Yeah. Isn't Crazy. It amazing how selfish. No, no, no emotional response. Really. Yeah. It was more of a hassle than a, mm -hmm. than, than a, like a, than an emergency to me. Yeah. Like, which is exactly right. There's no mo emotional response to things anymore. Mm -hmm. Um, I did go to the hospital though, and they saw her, she was okay. And, but her mom walked right up to me and said, uh, and said, you're not welcome here. Um, you know, we're taking Lisa back. She's coming mm -hmm. back to Canmore to live with us again. And so goodbye. Yeah. Well, Lisa had other ideas and decided to come back home and pretend to play house again. And Lisa was, was very sick with an eating disorder. 
And uh, she was literally dying of her eating disorder and all the comp sort of the stuff that goes along with it. And I was literally mm -hmm. dying of you know cocaine and alcohol and, and sex work stuff and, and, and my ch choices. But neither of us really had any idea because we were so rolled up into our own situations. Mm -hmm. We were living in the same house. Yeah. And I had no idea that, that my girlfriend had a, a debilitating and crippling eating disorder. Yeah. David, her knuckles were always raw and bruised. Mm -hmm. I just thought, man, she's a bit anemic, you know? Yeah. Like she's, she's probably eat some more meat or something. You know what I mean? Whatever. Yeah. Because um, we don't know. No, I didn't know. Yeah. I was, I, she's, you know, thin figure and like, you know, t takes whatever. Yeah. Um, she was dying of a extreme dual diagnosis eating disorder mm -hmm. and uh, took her, tried to commit her own, commit suicide by swallowing her fist in an attempt to purge. So mm -hmm. it was pretty rough. And she was in the tub when it happened. Oh, man. And I was away and the cat saved her life. She passed out in the tub, water went cold, the cat started freaking out. Neighbors alerted the police, police came, found yeah. her crazy. Wow crazy and I came home from my weekend to this yeah uh, so anyway that was quite scary I'm not like I really that was a, a it was a moment where I just kind of went man how the, what the fuck are you doing mm -hmm. like what kind of life are you living and it yeah. didn't happen when, because of her it happened because of I went home I was alone in the house and she was still in the hospital wherever and I had those three or four nights of those awful dark mm -hmm. awake those the four horsemen you know the bewilderment yeah. the terror the uh, whatever they are you know, and they, but it was real. Like it was pretty rough those 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 nights. And I, I thought, I, you know, I thought that was going to be enough. That that moment of like seeing my own mortality and just the reality of my addiction, for what it was, that should have been enough to. Well, it did. It pushed me into to, to program. So, I made my way on my own uh, power, I guess, or whatever, my own decision making, anyways, to uh, Renfrew and uh, decided that I was going to give it a real a real try, mm -hmm. recovery, a real try, and. Um, because I was desperate, and I knew that if I didn't make changes, I was going to die. I was going to die. Um, and so I, uh, yeah, I went to Renfrew, and I, I met a few friendly faces and felt pretty good after a few days and, and uh, came back, and uh, my girlfriend just wanted to play house again. Oh, you're back. Let's just get back to normal again. Mm -hmm. And something inside me just said, don't do it, man. Mm -hmm. You know, don't go back to that. You know, you have an opportunity here. You're sober a week. Yeah. You know, you're thinking better maybe for the first time. You're desperate. Mm -hmm. Don't get cocky, you know? Yeah. And so, um, yeah, she uh, just offered to bring me back into the same situation where she supported my ass and was completely codependent. Mm -hmm. and, and, uh, and it just didn't feel right, you know? So I uh, decided to, well, I, at the time, this is pretty common, but I thought my problem was just co cocaine. Like, if yeah. I can just get rid of the cocaine, I'll be better. You know, because it's wait, it's illegal and booze is legal and it's socially acceptable and it's fine. So yes, I will just drink and that'll be fine. And so I went out and got the day I got discharged from Renfrew, I came home and I got just wasted with the guy that I got <laughs> let out of Renfrew with. Oh, and actually, funny enough, David, he was yeah. a drag queen. Yeah. And uh, so my I made like this ally from my world mm -hmm. in like he, he's a not that I was a drag queen, but yeah. from the gay world. Yeah. You know, um, uh, someone I knew, mm -hmm. someone I was comfortable with and familiar with. So. I don't know if that was a good thing or a bad thing because I had a, a buddy in treatment kind of mm -hmm. thing, right? So we got out together and just went and bought a couple of bottles of, of, I remember it was Royal Reserve, the cheapest stuff possible. And just yeah. like, let's drink. Let's not do cocaine. Let's drink let's until drink. we go blind. Right? And, and man, <laughs> I was knee walking drunk. I was yeah. hammered. Just friggin' like, cause I didn't have the cocaine to, we were, it was a, quite a night. It was, oh man, thankfully it was only one night because yeah. it was just the next morning was like, you know, because I didn't really get hangovers because I didn't mm. really drink much. Cocaine had completely occupied every, it had taken over for me. Yeah. And um, man, when you start, when you just, when you drink a bottle of whiskey after you haven't been drinking for a while and you don't have any cocaine to help temper that, man, that was wasted. Yeah. So the next morning, thankfully, I got a dose of reality with a wicked headache and a hangover. And, and I thought, man, maybe I, maybe I should stop drinking. So I went to a CA meeting 
And, uh, and I think that's where the, you know, there was hand of God in every part of my story that I look back and see now. But at that meeting, a CA meeting, a reeking of alcohol, maybe open to the idea that all other mind-altering substance, oh, mm-hmm. oh, because I was pretty mind-altered the night before yeah. on booze, you know. <laughs> yeah. And uh, so I finally realized, that, okay, oh, okay. And, and all it really took was going to the meeting and seeing other people. And man, I don't know, if I'd have gone to a meeting and seen a bunch of old dudes or, because I was very judgmental and mm-hmm. I really thought I was something back then, even yeah. though I was probably wasn't, you know, but I thought, I think lots of us thought you know, we were something. Really. Yeah. And so I, you know, if, if what I saw at the meetings, thankfully were some people that had cool style mm-hmm. and like tattoos and good taste in music. So I thought, yeah. right. And I thought, huh, this isn't what I thought at all. And thankfully one of those guys befriended me. He saw the stunned deer in the mm-hmm. headlights eyes. Right. And, uh, you know, he saw me take a newcomer chip and, and, yeah. and he did 12 step work on me. He came over after and after the meetings, Mike, beautiful man, Mike, I still see him the odd time. I won't say his last name, but mm-hmm. um, he, uh, he said, what do you, what's your plan, dude? I'm like, I don't know, probably mm. go home, <laughs> you know? And he's like, well, where's home? Yeah. Tell me your situation. I said, well, I'm living with my girlfriend, you know, it's not that good. Mm. She's pretty sick. And, and he's like, you probably should get out of there. I'm like, where am I going to go, dude? Mm-hmm. I got no job, right? Yeah. I got no money. I got nowhere to go. Mm-hmm. And he's like, but if you go back there, you know, you're probably going to get lulled yeah. back into your old life. And I knew he was right. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, I said, well, what, what, what are you suggesting then? You know, stranger from the meeting, you know? Yeah. Hi guy. You know, you know what I mean? You want to <laughs> tell me how to run my life here? You got, you got a better idea? You know, cause I, I need to sleep somewhere tonight, dude. Yeah. You know, he's like, well, I'm living at Simon house. He says yeah. to me and I, what the fuck is Simon house? Right. And he's like, well, it's a place with a treatment center or whatever. And I'm, I didn't, my exposure to treatment centers before that was like detox. I didn't really mm-hmm. know that there was aftercare, that there was long-term yeah. care. I didn't know. Yeah. And um, he's like, yeah, I'm in a treatment center. There's a bunch of men and, and uh, there's 32 of us or whatever. And, and it's awesome. He was just beaming about it. And mm-hmm. he, I think he was maybe three or four months sober, which to me was like, I was like, you're Gandhi. Yeah, you know what I mean? Seriously. Like, dude, you're amazing. Three How did you do sober? three months? <laughs> like, like, wow, you're yeah. so spiritual. How? <laughs> Anyways, um, you know, and uh, so I really look up to him. I looked up to him. I thought, man, that, you know, that, that if you want what we have. And uh, on a very basic level, this guy represented things that I wanted. Mm-hmm. He had confidence. He had, he had you know, he, he was clear-minded. And he had, like I said, he had things in his life that I liked, even only three months down the road. Yeah. So I followed him out on the bus to, the, to Simon House and, I'm just kind of going along for the ride. I'm not really sure what's going on. I'm like, where, you know, and we get out there and he brings me in and he introduced me to the counselors and they say, well, you know, we're looking at about four or five weeks wait list Mm -hmm. to get in. You got to call every day. And, uh, I I didn't have a phone for one thing. So (laughs) I remember that like, how am I going to call or pay phone? Yeah. There was, there was a thing called (laughs) pay phones back then for all the kids out there. Exactly. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Um, so they said call every day and I remember my heart sinking. Because mm-hmm. I was so uh, amped on meeting this dude, this guy who I thought was really cool. He was yeah. a couple years older than me, and he'd, he'd been, I thought, where I was. You know, he understood me. And I was, I felt my, just like, I was so disheartened when they said four or five weeks. Because I'm like, what are you going to do in four or five weeks? Yeah. Like, man. Like, and then you got to call every day, and you got to be sober, and oh, man. So I, it was very depressing. Um, but Mike said, you know what, man? What can you do? This is your option. What else mm-hmm. can you do? It's a phone call. I'm here for you. Come to meetings. You know, we'll hang out. I got you. Mm-hmm. And uh, just try it out. And uh, he goes, they told me that same thing too. And I think I was in in about two weeks, they said. So they just tell you they're really bad. Canadian. So 
I got in in two days. So I think that was a pretty big miracle. That is. Yeah. Because I needed to get out of where I was. And I remember when, the, the, when I got the news I was into Simon House, I just came home to Lisa, my girlfriend, who was, was living back in this sort of, she'd, she'd created this new artificial world again of, for us, mm -hmm. of playing house, I call it, right? And I came back and I just said, man, Lisa, I said, I, I got to go. What do you mean? I said, I'm leaving and I'm never coming back. I love you. Good luck. Mm -hmm. Basically, I'm, I knew in my heart, David, that I got to go save my own life, you yeah. know? And uh, so, yeah. I, it's a um, big decision, man. Yeah. So I had a hockey bag full of stuff. That's all I had. And um, showed up at Simon House for what I would say was ugh, one of the happiest years of my life, mm -hmm. right? I got there. I was 22. And obviously, I'd lived quite a, quite a story. Um, but we all had. And that was the, the thing there. I was like, man, these guys have been to jail. And these mm -hmm. guys have been... You know, there was, there was a couple of gay guys in the, in the house, mm -hmm. which I think was hand to God again, yeah. because I had a chance to work on real time forgiveness against people I hated mm -hmm. just because of, you know, what happened, not who they were, but what had happened to me. Yeah. And so, yeah, I mean, it, you know, it was a, a very good opportunity to kind of take my life for the first time and kind of, and, and, and start going in the right direction. And so I was amped to be at Simon House. And I like to say that, man, the reason that year was so great is because I was, I was out of I was free. Yes, I had a curfew at Simon House in the treatment center, and I had rules and stuff like that. I had structure, yes. But I, I had uh, camaraderie from, from brothers in the program for the first time. I had fellowship. I had uh, a reason to stay clean and sober because I'd started to be exposed to sort of the big book and like, you know, and this, this worldwide sort of recovery movement that I knew mm -hmm. nothing about. And I liked it. I really wanted it. I didn't want my life to, to hurt and to suck and to, to be filled with chaos and drama and consequences and and uh, however, you know, um, you know, I, like I said, I knew that the program was this God idea, but that was rooted, I'm sorry, in, a, in the God mm -hmm. thing, the, the spiritual basis of the program. Yeah. And, but it's amazing that like, it's amazing that I just, I just did a kind of a, 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 a two and a half year head nod. Mm -hmm. You know, yep. I went to lots of meetings. I was very happy to be in recovery. Mm -hmm. I was very happy in the fellowship. I was so happy that I was out of my old life. Yeah. And so those days I was living in the, the sort of the, the, just the, the, um, the, the kind of happy reality that had the simple happy reality that like life didn't hurt and suck like it did a year, like mm -hmm. previously I was in this treatment center and I had, it was fun. I was, I was sober and I had friends, you know, yeah. and uh, I had a bit of a goal of, of recovery. Um, it was the first year of my life. I really thought I had that kind of freedom to kind of figure out who the hell are you, Kenny? Mm -hmm. You know, what do you want to be? What are you interested in? Yeah. I wasn't in the, it's not like I had like a, it wasn't, a, I don't want to call it a regime, but like in my home, it was, it was pretty, it was pretty regime-like, mm -hmm. right? There wasn't a lot of freedom there to really express myself or be myself. Yeah. And, and then of course, saddled with the, the extreme addiction for three or four years, like yeah. I was, and the sex work, there wasn't a whole lot of time to kind of go, oh, who are you, you know, what do you want to get interested in? What, who are you? And it takes kind of, that right out right? of you. It totally yeah. does. Yeah. The development not only just kind of maturing as a human, but like all those other things that we need to kind of explore and figure out was mm -hmm. just completely subverted, yeah. completely hijacked by the sexual mm -hmm. trauma, right? And the addiction. So here I find myself age 22, 23, with the lights are on in my life for the first time. And uh, I think that I had a real opportunity, you know, as most of us do, to, 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 to set a, um, a template for a life of recovery based on mm -hmm. that year. But what happened to me was I, felt entitled after about a year that maybe I could go on some dates. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm a young man, I'm healthy, things are looking good, you're healing from your stuff and yeah. you're sober a year now. And there was this real cute girl at the meeting 
right? And, and, and then, to be honest, because of the sex work and the trauma yeah. and the fact that I got to the party late, the whole sex party, yeah. uh, I, I didn't really have this. I wasn't really out hooking up. Mm. I wasn't really out, you know, I was pretty shy, really, even though <laughs> ironic, but yeah. I'd, 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 I'd had sex with m hundreds of times with men mm. for money. Yeah. Um, but I had no sexual experience still as far as like normal, know, like connected sex. Yeah. Connected. You know? Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah, sex that wasn't forced or uh, um, monetized, yeah. right? So um, I, I got a crush on this girl and felt good. And those are good things, you know, like those mm -hmm. are obviously good things. And But I, I hadn't really developed a whole lot as a person or as a, <laughs> as a recovered person. So I let myself, you know, as I think most of us would in that position, let myself give myself permission. Man, you should, you're, you're entitled to, you know, the, you deserve it. You've been sober. Look at all you've been through. This girl likes you. She's so beautiful. Mm -hmm. And so, well, we made a baby, you know, you know, we, we dated for about a week probably. And then, you know, <laughs> I'm pregnant and then, uh, wow. Okay. I hope you enjoyed your one year of normal living, Kenny, because, <laughs> <laughs> right. Because it's over. Yeah. Right. Uh, and that's really the case because I mean, no one, you can't, I don't know. My childhood was not normal. Mm -hmm. I, it wasn't normal. It was weird. It was survival and like, get me the fuck out of here. You yeah. know what I mean? Like, who are these people? And anyways, um, and then it was again, addiction and, and sex work for me. And then, so there was that one year of pause where I had a lot of fun and like, mm -hmm. you know, was able to walk around with my discman on and like hang out by the river and like do cool shit and yeah. stuff like that. And, and then I, and then I got a girl pregnant and, um, we made a decision to keep the, keep, keep our son. And I knew in my heart that they, that another, this is going to be a life-changing thing. Yeah. I, I didn't know really what was going to happen, but I did know that I was committed to being a father. Mm -hmm. And not to being uh, a father because my, my, my name's the same as him, as my son, but I, I, I was going to step up and no matter what it took, I was going to raise my kid. I don't really know where that came from. Mm -hmm. I don't know where that came from. I mean, um, my dad was not an affectionate, warm, hands-on, present, connected man yeah um with us with me um but i wanted to be and uh i wanted to uh, you know I, I i had no money mm -hmm. we had nothing we but i you know we were gonna have this baby so well strap in and here we go yeah. you know because she's it's her body she's having the baby and i'm all for it let's go talked about abortion of course mm -hmm. and neither of us wanted that we want you know we thought this is probably for a reason let's let's do this right and so we tried to well we tried to do it we tried the baby. Was, my son was born healthy. His name's Javen. He was born on Christmas Day, 1999, in uh, your old church. Not in the her water broke. My her water broke yeah. at a at a Christmas Eve meeting. Actually, oh really? CA meeting. Yeah. Oh wow. In that church. Right? Yeah. Yeah. And uh, so I mean, uh, you the know, water like, the water stain is still on the carpet. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Like it's every holy water, baby. Yeah. It's holy water. <laughs> <laughs> like every church carpet oh, everywhere. Oh my God. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's holy um, water. It's holy water. <laughs> what do you think goes in those jars? Right? Yeah. <laughs> no, <I'm> just <laughs> uh, we are in a church right now. I better. I know. I, fire extinguisher. I love it. Yeah. There's okay. one outside the door, I think, just in case. I'm gonna burn up here any second. Yeah. You start smelling smoke jars. Right. Go grab a fire extinguisher, exactly. please. Stop, drop, and roll. All right. Um, okay. So. Uh, yeah, like uh, obviously, you know, I don't believe that you can really be prepared for having mm -hmm. a kid, even if you have all the resources yeah. and all the preparation and everything, you know, all the books and the stupid, you know, whatever, the anecdotes mm -hmm. and everything, right? Um, you just got to get in there and do it. And in fact, so my story was we had nothing and that was just 
more than enough, mm-hmm. you know, because what I did have was an, an incredible amount of love for my son and, and a deep desire to have his life go different than mine went, starting yeah. from what his experience in the home was. Mm-hmm. I realized because I'd been given some information and I was sober, I was in the program. I wasn't working a spiritual program, but I was working an educational program. Yeah. I really wanted to stay clean and sober and have a good life. I just didn't want God to be any part of it, right? Yeah. Um, thanks for saving me from an alcoholic death, God. I got it from here, yeah, yeah. right, is what I always say. But uh, it's quite, it's, you know, it's an attitude that I haven't shaken, mm-hmm. to be honest with you. <laughs> <laughs> I still do that, you know. That's fair. Um, yeah. Uh, and God will have me back every time. Dumbass, what took you so long sometimes? But anyways, um, okay, so yeah, kid came into the world and, and uh, healthy and great and... Uh, but unfortunately, his mother was not mm. healthy and great. Um, and, and at that time, I think I was healthy. I, I, I wasn't working a perfect program, mm-hmm. but I had uh, some good foundational pillars of recovery in my life and step work and uh, definitely no desire mm-hmm. to go back to that old life. However, I still think that in those days, my sobriety was, um, um, pr- uh, was uh, motivated by a desire not to go back to a shitty outcome. Mm-hmm. It wasn't really uh, a desire to have great outcomes. Yeah. It's, a, it's a subtle difference there. Oh, yeah. So I used to stay clean and sober because I was afraid of what would happen mm-hmm. if I took a drink or a drug. But now, David, I stay clean and sober because I'm really excited about what happens in my life when yeah. I don't drink or when drug. You don't, yeah. Same action, don't drink, yeah. completely different motivation, completely mm-hmm. different outcome, yeah. right? Um, but I didn't know that then I was just living on and man, I sure don't want to live like that anymore. And I'm sure glad I'm not living like that anymore. And that was enough for me. I just, that was great. Um, yeah, my son's mom, unfortunately was, uh, she's a beautiful woman. I want to tell everybody she's doing incredibly well. She's wonderful. We have a beautiful relationship and and so does my son and her, but you know, there was some pain along the way for sure Mm -hmm. for both of us, all of us. And, uh, she had a, a pretty up, she had a pretty rough go and was not ready to be a mom and, uh, was, was unfortunately dealing with a lot of uh some pretty crippling um mental health and emotional issues mm-hmm. that provide that made it made made being with her quite difficult and she knew that and, and made being her quite difficult mm-hmm. it was hard for life was hard for her i and uh and I, sh- I was on the other side of the struggle yeah but i think that maybe she was still kind of in the struggle and you and can see that obviously. i totally could we were living together we yeah. you know I, my counselors at simon house said you might want to maybe just go into phase two and mm-hmm. keep dating her rather than just like moving in with her. And I'm like, ah, I got this. It's fine. Y'all don't yes. know nothing. I'm 22. <laughs> I don't, you know? Anyway, <laughs> I just wanted to get laid, David. Come on. Yeah. You know? Dude, you Be don't honest. have to convince me. I'm the choir. Right. You're, you're <laughs> preaching to the choir. I, you know? Like, so <laughs> if I had any idea of what my real motives were, I might have done something different or at least thought about it, but I had yeah. no idea what my motives were. Yeah. I was just, just bouncing around. So, um, yeah, Javen came in, and, and, and by the time my son was six months old, unfortunately, his mother had, had really hit some rocks in her life, mm-hmm. some rough, a rough patch, and she never really got on her feet again after my son was born uh, with, like, the depression and uh, bipolar mm-hmm. uh, complications that, that got worse after my son was born. And so she wasn't really too present in my son's life the first six months, and, and uh, it was really sad because I, I, I just, um, you know, I wanted it to be different. Mm-hmm. I thought this isn't how it was supposed to be. I didn't need the money. Mm-hmm. I didn't need the big house or anything. But I thought at least couldn't we give him two parents that, yeah. you know? And unfortunately, that wasn't the case. And I thought, man, but, you know. So I, if anything, it was motivation for me to to stay strong as a parent mm-hmm. and, and realize that I may have to do the parenting of more than one person yeah. at some point. Because I love Jaylene. I love you. My like I love my son's mom so deeply and mm-hmm. dearly. But she was very very sick in those days. Yeah. And and living in some terrible realities. That, that, that she hadn't dealt with 
And, and so she, uh, we ended our relationship when my son was six months old, and that just completely devastated me. Uh, I built up this life, two and a half years of sobriety, mm-hmm. going to lots of meetings, chairing meetings, looking really good, looking like Captain, Captain uh, Recovery, you know. And uh, people said I had a good message, and I had leadership attributes, and my career had started to kind of, mm-hmm. you know, the things that should happen to a person in the program were happening to yeah. me. You know, I don't know if anyone really knew that, like, there was there was no spiritual part of my program, but mm-hmm. it's not really their business, you know. So it looked yeah. like I was doing pretty good. Um, and so when Jaylene left me at six months with Javen, my son, devastated, completely devastated, heartbroken. I felt like a failure. I felt like I couldn't couldn't fix this. I, I felt powerless. I felt uh, okay. And I also felt like taking a fucking drink. Mm-hmm which hadn't happened in two and a half years. And why? Why did I feel like taking a drink? Because drinking, you know where that takes me. And I knew where that take me too. But what I know now is that I didn't heal from certain things. I still had major untreated alcoholism. So while I had removed the booze and was living in the, in the, in the, the after effects of like a booze-free life, I hadn't really worked a program. I was more that kind of guy that did steps and stuff to kind of say I was doing them. Mm-hmm. And, and yeah, 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 I'd do my step four so I could get my sponsor off my back. Mm-hmm. or worse, so I could talk about it at meetings and make everyone think that I'm so awesome, yeah. so they don't ask me anything. Yeah. And if you're a good communicator and a good speaker and you have a good message, sometimes it can be quite a mixed blessing again. Oh, yeah. It can be a curse. Keeps people away Keeps from people you. away because yeah. they go, oh, he's really doing well. Yeah. Listen to him share. We never yeah. have to ask him how he's doing. He's, yep, yeah. he's so open and sharing. But really, I was just, you know, I was, I, anyway, it's not like I was intentionally doing that, David. I just hadn't. Hit my bottom. Yeah, no, I got and you. And that man. sounds crazy to say. Yeah. Because a lot of people here at meetings, they're like, oh, man, I hit a lot of bottoms. You know, it was rough. Mm-hmm. Hit so many bottoms. Hit this recent bottom. And I don't really subscribe to that. In my studies in the literature, it, it, it kind of leads me to believe that an alcoholic hits one bottom. And that stuff that happens before that, if you go drinking again, you mm-hmm. haven't hit your bottom. Yeah. It's stuff that happens to an alcoholic on the way to the bottom. Yeah. So sex trauma, sex work. Um, you know, homelessness, DUIs, getting fired, getting divorced, getting whatever. Those aren't bottoms. Mm-mm. Those are things that happen. Those are events, yeah. To a person yeah. that's alcoholic, yeah. right, on their way to the bottom. So that's an important distinction for me because I thought I, oh, man, I am so on the bottom. Mm-hmm. I got this story that would blow your mind, and I love telling it. Yeah. You know, I love telling my story about, you know, uh, my old crazy life, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that uh, terrible bottom that happened. I know, exactly. Because yeah. yeah. you know what it did? It made people go, ooh, oh, wow. You mm-hmm. know? And I kind of like that. I'm like, yeah, I am pretty special, aren't I? You, know? <laughs> you did get yourself out of a pretty crazy situation. Yeah. And you know, like, there's some gifts happening in my life. I'd been mm-hmm. approached by the John Howard Society to represent them at the national level in Ottawa mm-hmm. with some uh, MPs and, and uh, policymakers. I was actually at the table in Ottawa when they drafted up the initial, the original drafts of the peat chip legislation mm. that eventually became the peat chip legislation okay. in the provinces, right? And so there were blessings from, you know, being open about my story. And so I'm not saying that those two and a half years of sobriety were, were a waste. Oh, a hell of a lot of all. good. It yeah. was an incredible foundational growth two and a half years. Mm-hmm. But life happened. I got, I got a devastating uh, event. Mm-hmm. My, my son's mom left me and I, I had to face that reality and I couldn't because I had no spiritual foundation. Mm-hmm. I'd been living on my own strength, my own successes, my own ideas. And when she left me, I had nothing. I, you know, that you hear in the big book that it says that we had no mental, we had no mental defense mm-hmm. against the first strength. So I was in such pain and my mind was racing so much 
And my plan had gone so off the rails, my plan yeah. had gone so off the rails. And what I was concerned about was, what am I going to say to people? How am I going to tell people that she left me? Yeah. I was shame. I had shame. Mm -hmm. I was like, you're, you're not good enough. You know, you couldn't fix this. You're a failure. You couldn't, you couldn't make this work. Yeah. And this just became the messaging. And so I drank. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I had no, I had no spiritual defense and, uh, my, my mental defense certainly, you know, wasn't there either. It seemed like a good idea again to shut that old pain off, yeah. to shut the pain off. All I know now that all I'd really done is found a way to live for two and a half years without a lot of pain, yeah. without a lot of consequences. Right. Um, and this was painful and, and it, and it hurt. And I went straight to the bottle crazy because you think, well, I guess then if you want to be sober, you just got to try and make sure that nothing bad happens to you yeah. and you'll be good. And I think some people actually live like that. Absolutely. You know, try to think control your right? environment. As yeah. Much, I'm not yeah. going to go to the bar. That's tempting. Yeah. I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to do that. And it's me, me, me. I'm going to set this up and I'm going to do this. Mm -hmm. But then when your plan invariably as it always will comes off the rails yeah. or even changes a slight bit. Yeah. We're like, oh, what? Oh, oh right. What, what How about you dare now? you? Right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> what about my plan? <clears throat> so this was a big deal because now I had to tell my family and my coworkers and my boss and like, you know, the guy looking in the mirror at it that you failed. Your wife, mm. your girlfriend left you, you know, and you, and you couldn't. So she, she gone and I drank. And uh, that was th that that was the darkest 18 months of my life. I think yeah. um, what I say in meetings is if. My first go round, my, the first story that I tell was basically, you've probably even heard me say this in a meeting. The analogy's never been, I've never come up with a better one yet. Mm. But the, the first time I came in, it was kind of like there was two ocean liners packed with fuel that just crashed in the middle of the ocean. Mm -hmm. Kaboom! Yeah. I mean, the news helicopters were there. It was bad. I mean, mm -hmm. people were dead. And, you know what I mean? It was a rough situation. Yeah. Disaster. Um, very chaotic. You know, and that was my first time, you know, I got this crazy light. My life burnt up and boom, kaboom. Let me tell you about it. Well, this time, uh, when I hit my real bottom, it was after a year and a half of uh, trying desperately to um, not let my addiction spin out of control again. Mm -hmm. Because I, somewhere in the book it says, I knew it was none too smart. Yeah. Taking those first couple drinks. <laughs> I vaguely sensed it was none too smart. I you love know? some of the wording. Oh, me too. Yeah. And then me too. I vaguely yeah. sensed in the midst of my pain and my desire to really find relief. Mm -hmm. I vaguely sensed that this is none too smart. Right. <laughs> that but could have been like my, my <laughs> running like tagline for most of my life. Exactly. Yeah. I vaguely sensed it, but yeah, probably not too anyway. smart. <laughs> Exactly. Um, right. Parallel with the, with the sound reasoning, however, mm -hmm. was the insane idea and the insane idea won out. Let's get drunk. Mm -hmm. But you know, there's a, there's a paragraph in the book that we all laugh and relate to that says, uh, you know, how we try to substitute or change or, or modify our using to, 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 to make it work, mm -hmm. you know, to make it work, even though you can't modify alcohol's effect on your body if you're an alcoholic, you yeah. know? So I thought, well, I'll drink Heineken. Uh, I'm not going to drink cheap beer anymore. I'll drink yeah. Heineken. You know what I mean? The craft beer wasn't even a thing yet. Like, <laughs> that's right. Like, it wasn't. It was, <laughs> it was right. still like early 2000-ish yeah. time. And um, I, my career, I should say, had really, really started to go up. Mm -hmm. I'm a chef. Uh, own a restaurant. Own a couple of restaurants now, actually. And, um, and, uh, but at the time, I was just working my way up in a career that it was the only thing I'd ever done. So it was the only thing I knew how to do is cook. Yeah. But I was pretty good at it. And even in, the, in those years where I was partying, I was pretty good at it. So it was always this kind of part of the restaurant, but in sobriety, I, um, my career really did take off both when I was sober, those two and a half years mm -hmm. and it kind of plateaued, I'd say when I was drinking for yeah. those 18 months and slowly started to decline. 
to the point where at the end of those 18 months, I was, oh man, I was, uh, I was living in Mission in a little tiny basement apartment with my son, half time, half half, uh, fully consumed and, 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 and obsessed with what his mom was doing all the mm. time. Still in love with her, still resentful, still just completely attached to that, the situation of a year and a half ago and, and, and not living well. Um, I was drinking uh, lots of uh, booze in the, in the early morning hours. I would sneak into my restaurant and, and, and drink, pour myself a, a cocktail of about 20 different, you know, a tiny bit of about 20 different bottles so my yeah. boss wouldn't notice. Throw some coffee in there in the morning and pat down it. And my boss would come in about nine in the morning. I'd been there since about six and I could combat the shaky nerves with their booze. And they thought I was such a model employee. They're like, How, what time did you get here today, Kenny? Prep this half done. Yeah. I'm like, oh, I got here at six. You know, I drank a bunch of booze. No, you know, I got here at six <laughs> yeah. is all I told them. Yep. And they're like, oh, you're so awesome. You're such a dedicated employee. Mm -hmm. Anyways, the manipulation again, the survival, yeah. right? Uh, so I tried to just blend in and, and I really, I really just tried the experiment of a lifetime. Let's just try and drink like a normal person. Mm -hmm. You know, you can't do cocaine. I did know that. Yeah. <laughs> I, I knew if you do blow again, you're done. Yeah. You're in big trouble. You're gonna lose your son. Yeah. Like in my heart, I knew that. Like your, his mom's already shaky. Not doing well, yeah. making bad decisions. You know, you're drinking. You're at least you're making a, a buck. You know, um, but like uh, it was, it was. Anyways, the old. The, what I'm trying to say is the substitution worked maybe for a little while. Yeah. And I felt part of it all for a little while. I could, you know, cheers my glass of wine and my fancy beer, but uh, at the end of the night, I would still be looking for that cheap bottle, mm -hmm. you know, and just shut it off. And I drank every moment I could. Yeah. Uh, during my time without my kid in the week. And then I, I, I lived in a state of extreme hangover consequences for the, the couple of days after. Like, the, those were the days of two-day, three-day-long hangovers. Mm -hmm. It was terrible. Because, again, I was just drinking without any leveling off, right? Yeah. And um, so if the first time, you know, was two out-of-control ocean liners having a spectacular disaster in the, you know, in the ocean and for all the world to see, when I really hit my bottom in 2002... It was more like I was all alone in a, and I have said this many times because mm -hmm. it's how I felt, David. I felt like I was in a rowboat, a single outboard motor in the cold Atlantic, and my, my little boat puttered to a stop. Put, 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 and there I found myself all alone, mm -hmm. right? Floating, but all alone. But you're in the you middle know? of the dark and ocean. And nobody now. to see anything. Yeah. That's how I felt. Yeah. There's, where are the news cameras? Where's everybody to yeah. rubberneck my disaster? You know, <laughs> where's everyone to tell me how awesome this fucking chaos is that I'm living yeah. in? You know, or whatever, or yeah. offer to help me, or whatever. Mm -hmm. Rally around me. Where was everybody? Yeah, and I pushed them all out of my life. Right, I had no friendships. Mm -hmm. I had. Uh, I, I will say that I was still a hell of a good dad. You know, yeah. I was. I. I. That. I'm, and of course, I was. Love my son. Endlessly in those early days, and mm -hmm. and even with the the, the bottle that I was fighting, um, I know that those days I uh, I didn't I didn't go all the way because of him. Mm -hmm. I I just I knew I had to show up and be there for him. And thankfully, he was only a baby in those days, mm -hmm. so I sobered up uh, because of my great friend and first sponsor, Ron. He was a server at the restaurant I worked at, and he saw what was going on in my life, and he knew mm -hmm. I'd had some recovery previously, and. He knew that I was becoming uh, just a shell of the person I used to be yeah. quickly, right in front of his eyes. And no one else really could see it because I was an employee of the restaurant and I was still maintaining you know, my obligations. I was yeah. showing up and doing my job. And, but he knew because he was one of us. He'd been there. Ron was an alcoholic. And uh, he spotted me one time at Safeway. And I was with my son. And he said, Kenny, I walked into Safeway, ran into you that day at Safeway. Your hair was on fire. I said, what do you mean? You were crazy. 
you had, you were wild. You just had this wild, he's like, I never really got to see you outside work. Because mm-hmm. at least at work, you were focused and working and getting through your shift. But like to see you with your son in Safeway, just that dazed yeah. and fucked up and just adrift. Yeah. He's like, I had to do something. So he, he uh, took it upon himself to, <laughs> to pin me between himself and the freezer. He opened the freezer door and just literally did that. Mm-hmm. The guy's only 5'6 or 5'7. Yeah. And he pushed me in there. And he's like, Kenny, I love you. And you're a fucking asshole. And you're living shitty. And you're going to mm-hmm. fucking lose it all. Yeah. You know? And I was so offended. I'm like, oh, you're my friend. Why would you say that to me? And he's like, because I fucking love you, man. Mm-hmm. And I'm, not, I'm in the program. And I've never made my business your business or your business my business. But I can't stand to see you go down like this mm-hmm. anymore. He goes, you're, you're about to get fired. I know that. Um, you're going to lose your career. You're going to lose your son. Yeah. It's going to happen. All those chef guys that you look up to, you're not like them because mm-hmm. they don't drink like you do, Kenny. You're, you're, you're fucked. You know? And yeah. it was like, oh, I was just like, oh, mm-hmm. God, like, I was like, wow. Yeah. But I knew he was right. Yeah. I mean, I knew the whole 18 months that he was right. He was the first one with the balls to tell me, mm-hmm. literally. Yeah. I mean, he, and he did. And he said, he didn't use nice language, but he did thankfully at the end of it all say, I'll go with you mm-hmm. to the meeting. Yeah. Right. I'll go with you. Cause I'm like, I can't, I no, 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 I can't, you know, my schedule run, you know, it's so busy. Mm-hmm. He's like, I do know your schedule and I know there's a couple of meetings you can get to every day. So we're going Yeah. right. And the very next day, you know, I'd been to hundreds of meetings at that point, mm-hmm. but you'd think I'd never been to one I hear at you. my resistance, you yeah. know, knowing how good those meetings were. And I was just unable mm-hmm. to recall like how good life was when I was in the program because I'd never made that jump into the spiritual side of the program. So I had no reference for that. I thought the program didn't work. Yeah. I'm like, nah. If it worked, why am I here? Right, exactly. Mm -hmm. And he said, come on, we're going to AA. You're coming with me. You're not going to CA. We'll go to AA. I'll introduce you to some people tomorrow. I'll be here. Let's go. (sighs) What was I going to say? You know, he showed up the next morning and I was fighting it. My heels were dug in only because of pride, ancient enemy, right? Pride. And, uh, that pride thing is just such a bitch, man. It's such a a powerful Mm -hmm. enemy. You know, um, it can keep us out of what we know is good for us. Yeah. Even when we're right before, right in front, what I know to be good for me is right there, mm-hmm. right there. I can reach out and grab it. And yet I'm choosing not to, cause I'm too proud. Yeah. Cause I don't want people to see me reach for it. I'd rather them think that I don't need to reach for it. Yeah. Why? It's so strange. Right. But, but it these, is, these things it is that strange. it's strange. Right. Yeah. And the book acknowledges it's friggin' strange. It's kind of mysterious, mm-hmm. um, that we, the, that we get that way and it's mental illness, you know, and spiritual sickness and. And, it, and it's pretty powerful. So, um, yeah, I went to a meeting with Ron and after all my protesting and my kicking and screaming and my scoffing at the program and I went there and I just felt like I was totally home, mm-hmm. you know, and <laughs> it's not because there were cool tattooed people that like listen to cool music. Yeah. It was all the old dudes this time, yes. but they had that message, you know, and they're mm-hmm. like, I don't know what I was. I was ready. I was done living the mm-hmm. way I was living. And I knew that if I didn't, go deeper in the program or find something else, you know, but it's amazing that I still didn't make the, the, the automatic link to, Oh, it's, it's God. It's a, it's mm-hmm. a, it's a spirit filled life. It's a, you know, mm-hmm. because I still had these incredible deep biases to, you know, mm-hmm. the experience that I had with what I was told was a, the God, yeah. whatever life. And I found it very, um, uh, bullshit, mm-hmm. you know, it was very empty, right? Yeah, like yeah. I didn't, I'm like, why would I want that? Yeah. You know, uh, but I was so broken and hurting mm-hmm. that I was like, I guess I'll just 
you know, and it's a beautiful place to be where you can just stop going, uh, I think, and start saying, I don't know, mm-hmm. right? And maybe. Rather than no, yeah, it's a hard no, it's a, a maybe, right? A maybe, you know, mm-hmm. probably not, but maybe, yeah. you know? Um, and and so, saying you don't know right? is a good no, idea. Like, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. And, and I was also smart enough to know that it hadn't been working mm-hmm. and that the year and a half of, of trying to do what I was doing was incredibly painful and that, I, uh, that it was starting to be seen and, and, and noted by others. So I went to this meeting with him and like, oh man, like I was, that, that's when like, I guess I was finally ready. Um, I don't really even really know what the difference was. I mean, I, I guess it's everything I just said. But just something about the, the, the just the, 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 the contented nature of the, guy, the people in that room. Mm-hmm. Like, it wasn't like, oh, I have to be here and like I'm doing mm-hmm. this because I, you know, I'm fucking alcoholic. It was like people were joyful. Yeah. And like, and like they'd be, they were living these great lives, you know, not flashy, extravagant lives, but just mm-hmm. like quality lives mm-hmm. with quality relationships and contentedness. Yeah. Something I'd never seen or had. Mm-hmm. Certainly didn't see it in my house. And growing up, and I, I'd never experienced it. I wanted it. I wanted that peace. And so I decided that I would start to do a, a really serious look at the steps. And, and it came easy in those days because I was motivated by the new hope. I was motivated by hope rather than by uh, fear. Yeah. Right? And what a difference, right? Uh, eyes were open in a new way when I came in. And, and life was not easy by any stretch. I mean, I, you know, like uh, when my son was six... Um, thankfully I got into the program and started to, you know, rebuild and I had a lot of financial chaos or whatever, but, um, about two and two and a half, three years later of really getting deep into the program, this would have been around the time I met you and I was going to meetings every day and I was, I was really getting into the work and the book was coming alive and the literature was coming alive and I was making a motion, I'll say towards God. Mm -hmm. I was making motion towards God. I was, I was moving in that direction willingly. Um, and, and, and if only for the hope, it, I, maybe I hadn't developed any faith yet, but it was very, very strong hope and belief. I had belief and hope, which is the, the, the sort of the, the, the pillars of faith. Yeah. You know, I believe you and I want it and I believe it can actually happen. Mm-hmm. That's the, how faith starts. Um, so yeah, like, um, got back into the program and, 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 uh, when my son was six, uh, his mom actually had, had continued to struggle all these years. And, 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 but the struggle was a lot easier for me to kind of uh, be close to or, or aware of because I, I, I dealt with those, those, those obsessions and those, mm-hmm. the things I was really being haunted with in those early few months at the, with the help of my sponsors. And so I had a pretty good uh, grasp on early sobriety. I was really, really feeling good and uh, feeling a lot different than the first time around. Yeah. Okay, so thank God for that because... What I know now is that I was being prepared for another major uh, challenging season of my life. Um, <laughs> seems like with me, every time I get like, I'm almost over the finish line with what I perceive to be the end of whatever fucking plan I have. Yeah. Then it's like, no. Right? Because <laughs> what I'm trying to say is by this point, I've been sober a couple of years. I was working a very strong program. Mm-hmm. I had a belief in a higher power, a God as I understood it. I was praying. I was meditating. I was trying all the stuff. I was mm-hmm. really earnestly trying. And then I got another dose of major reality. I got uh, handed with news that my son's mom was no longer fit to parent mm-hmm. and was being removed as a parent by the courts. Oh. And uh, so I was thrust into full-time custody, which mm-hmm. I never asked for or was prepared for. Yeah. And, uh, but I was ready. Yeah. God had made me ready. Um, God made me ready. And that kind of thing can be incredibly devastating for a child, obviously, mm-hmm. having a parent suddenly gone. But 
like those were those next five years, I'd say, or three to five years, I've never leaned on my program more heavy. Mm-hmm. And again, I don't think that people observing my life saw much different. But what was really going on was I was for the first time in my life leaning on my higher power. And I was going, I I know what I want to do, God. I want to go tell her to I want to I want to tell her to grow up mm-hmm. and get her fucking shit together and yeah. stop being a shitty parent to our kid. Mm-hmm. But that would have been just making myself feel better for the selfish, most superficial reasons. Yeah. And 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 self-righteously proclaiming, you know, and putting her down mm-hmm. uh, to make myself feel better. Yeah. And um, so, man, I remember like, that was probably the most powerful week of my entire life as far as the presence of God. Because any time in that week when I had the EPO, an emergency parenting order, mm-hmm. I, I, I could have made a, a very critical mistake. But I just stayed close to my lawyer's advice and my higher powers intuitive nudges and just kind of had this balance kind of, I didn't take the bait. I did not take the bait. You've heard of emotional booby traps, yep. okay? That week was full of them. My son's mom was calling me one time, screaming at me, saying, how could you? And the next week going, you know, like trying to butter me up and be mm-hmm. soft and like, you know, because she knew that she was screwed. She's yeah. like about to lose her son. So she was last gasp trying to, trying to, trying to make me kind of rally to her, you know, to, to change. And, and I just, I, uh, I just, I said, God, like, uh, man, it was scary because we had to appear in court together mm-hmm. a week, a week, two weeks later. And there was a very real chance that, uh, that his mom could have got up and said, he's lying. Everything he said about my behavior is bullshit. He's the one that's, you know, mm-hmm. a bad parent. He's the one that's partying and he's yeah. the one that's, you know, she could have done that. Yep. And, uh. But I did not go to that courtroom that day and say, she's a terrible person. Mm-hmm. She deserves to lose her son. She's blah, blah, blah. I think I got up there and something, like I said, like I love my son's mom mm-hmm. and I want the best for her. Now my lawyer said, you be careful because judges side with the mom more times than not yeah. in situations like this. Mm-hmm. My lawyer told me that. You be careful. You're going into that courtroom mm-hmm. and saying what you're going to say. You got a very real chance that they're going to take your son away from you. I'm like, for what? Mm-hmm. For being a good dad? Because if she chooses to believe yeah. Jaylene, right, or the mom, sorry, yeah. then bye-bye. You could have an incredibly new set of restrictions on your parenting. Mm-hmm. You could lose your parenting rights. Are you prepared for that? Wow. You know, so yeah. the opportunity to bury my head in the sand and kind of go was like, oh, maybe I shouldn't pursue this. Yeah. But I knew what was going on in her, li- in her mm-hmm. life was hurting my kid. Mm-hmm. And so I, in my prayer that week and in my meditation that week, and that was the realest time of prayer and meditation in my entire life, because I really needed the guidance. Mm-hmm. Because again, I said, I know what I want to do. I want to put my finger in this woman's face and say, you're a piece of crap, mm-hmm. terrible parent. How could you? Yeah. Right? Proclaim my own righteousness again. But somehow I just maintained this emotional balance and no anger, no reactions. And we got to court that, that couple of weeks later. And I said, you know, this is, my, this is my perception on things that are going on in my son's life at his mom's house. And I'm not happy with it. Mm-hmm. I said, I don't think it's safe. I don't think it's good for my son. And uh, then it was her turn to get up there. And she had her crew with her. She had a whole crew of friends that were there rally. So I'm like, oh God, like I, I had no one. It was just me. Yeah. Me and a higher power. She had a whole crew of like cheerleaders in the crowd. Going, yeah, literally. And so I'm like, oh, Kenny, you're fucked. Like mm-hmm. she's going to get up there and she's going to say he's lying. She got up there and I don't know what happened, but she, she stood in front of the judge and she said one sentence. Everything he said is true. Wow. That's what she said. Wow. Everything he said is true. I, I mean, even the judge was like, what? 
Yeah, that's some higher power shit. You're not fighting for your son? Yeah. It's almost like she knew that she was that couldn't couldn't handle being a parent mm-hmm. in that moment and knew that she needed to kind of step outside, uh, step aside. Yeah. And so I think it was higher power. I really oh. do because I, immediately afterwards she was angry and she was hostile and but the it was done. Yeah. But done. It was done. The court gave me 100% custody mm-hmm. with uh, visitation at my discretion. Yeah. So if I didn't want his mom to see him ever again, then he'd never see his kid again. Mm-hmm. That's not what I wanted. Of it was never not. about punishing my kid, my, my son's mom yeah. and, and having, oh, see, I told you you're bad. You know what I mean? It was about, okay, and, and this is the program and God. Um, it was about, you got a chance now to, 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 to give some stability and consistency in your kid's life, mm-hmm. right? Uh, a. B, you have an opportunity to model real love and forgiveness to your son mm-hmm. regarding this person who you actually have a lot of bitterness and hate for right now yeah. and resent, you know? And so I just went with that. And no one told me that. No one gave me that advice. In mm-hmm. fact, a lot of the advice I was giving was screw that bitch. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Like screw her. How could she? You know, yeah. what kind of person would do that? And for 15 years, I protected her honor mm-hmm. and, her, and her motherhood. And I said, she was a wounded, sick person. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was healthy enough to, to take, to take it for both of us for a while. Mm. Um, and it was a hard, hard few years. Like it was, I had no social life. Um, I didn't do any dating really. I mean, I, uh, who cares? I mean, I, I got to raise my kid. Um, I was able somehow to, with the help of community and, and, and friends and family to, to not only stay in Calgary and raise my kid and advance my career, but like do it at a really great in a great way that, mm-hmm. that gave my son a really, really special upbringing. So from about the ages, from the age of six, my son was, was raised by myself and my extended sort of chosen family. Mm-hmm. Uh, in order to maintain my job, I had to have sleepovers with my kid every weekend, mm-hmm. like for years, you know? Yeah. And uh, you just, I just did what I had to do. Mm-hmm. And I didn't even think how hard it was at the time, but when I think back on it now, I think like, how? And there's no way I could have done it mm-hmm. if I didn't have, like, I wasn't be, if I wasn't being propelled by, uh, you know, because it wasn't all about me. I think that God knew that um, this child um, needed to be spared or, or, or mm-hmm. you know, um, carried through this. And so what I wasn't able to do, my higher power was able to do with uh, just coordinating and helping and, and facilitating and making it happen. And the years flew by and, and they, my son just thrived and excelled and so did I. And, and uh, I, was, I maintained a, an active role in, 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 re- in recovery the whole time. I never, ever stopped going to meetings. Meetings were a pleasure and a joy, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, now, this all is starting to sound pretty pretty nice, and it is pretty nice. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I, I was able to raise my kid, and, and he was a very high achiever, and he was athlete of the year in grade 12, and he got signed to, like, a, a semi-pro football team right mm-hmm. out of high school, and, and he's an incredible kid, and he, and he makes good choices, and he's not saddled with uh, addiction. And he's seen a real-life example of, of uh, redemption and, and, and forgiveness mm-hmm. and recovery and his dad and his relationship with his parents come healed. Mm-hmm. Um, so he's awesome. However, there was a lot more work to do in my life that had been neglected mm-hmm. for years, years by busy chasing after a career. And I mean, that's not a bad thing in and of itself. A man's got to have a career. A person's got to have a career. Yeah. Got to, you know, pay, pay your way. Um, but it's easy to let power and success um, mm-hmm. uh, poison that. Yeah. Right. Uh, it, it's easy to let anything good be poisoned by 
character defects or, mm-hmm. or sinful nature, right? Yeah, it's a good way to put it. Right? Because yeah. working and, and having my career is not bad. In fact, it's great. Mm-hmm. But doing it so I can look so great and pop, prop myself up, mm-hmm. that's not good. Yeah. So again, it's that, it's all, David, it's always about what's going on behind, mm-hmm. right? What's motivating whatever's going on, yeah. right? Um, and so I could say that like where my, my, I was on exactly the right path with my recovery as far as like, <laughs> My recovery specific to substance mm-hmm. and drink was going great. Yeah. Uh, and sort of, uh, you know, some of the major sort of traumas were being sort of at least brought on the table, mm-hmm. you know, like we acknowledged, you know, yeah. maybe not healed, but acknowledged. And, and some major progress was happening. But I, I also was a single parent full time and, and, you know, having a what, what has turned out to be a great career. Um, by the time my son got a bit older, meaning high school age, I'd say. Mm. I, I started to have a little more time in my schedule. My restaurant, uh, I owned a restaurant at that time, and it was quite successful. So this is now in the last five years I'm going to talk about. Okay. Um, uh, yeah. Uh, <clears throat> sorry, let me just get connected again here. Mm-hmm. Right. So the last five years, the reason why I was able to start growing in new ways. So, okay. I've been sober 18 years. You might think, oh, man, you must have done a lot of growing in those first few. Yes, I did a lot of mm-hmm. growing in the first few years. But there's a lot of growing to be done at every year. Yeah. At every stage. Yeah. You, you, you get to one level and guess what? Oh, wow. I didn't even know there was this mountain range here. I know. That's you know? What, but that's what people with like, with like who are just getting their first few years, right? They think, oh, we're going to get to a pinnacle. Exactly. Yeah, but then you see there's a higher mountain behind right. the pinnacle. Right. Exactly. Yeah. That's right. So I, I ascended to that peak. Yeah. And did get some great successes in my of life. Of course. And yeah. only to realize that, okay, we're just getting started here. Yeah. But I'd say in the last... Three to five years, just just mostly afforded by the fact that I had a, a pretty a pretty good career, which allowed me quite a bit of free time, mm-hmm. and, and just you know, um, I wasn't really burdened by a lot of hard work schedule. Yeah. Um, and I also, uh, and my son was older. Um, it allowed me to maybe go back to that, maybe go back to twenty years previous and mm-hmm. go that guy in Simon House again. What do you like doing? Yeah. What are you into, Kenny? You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like, you know, who are you? Yeah. And uh, I, I I knew. I knew, I knew for the 20 years that like, since I left Simon House pretty much that like, you gotta get this sexual trauma dealt with. Mm. And I didn't know how, mm-hmm. I just didn't know how, because it wasn't voiced in meetings. I didn't hear, where's the step that talks about being raped? Yeah. You know, where's the step that talks about living in the reality of a person mm-hmm. who's had sexual abuse or, or sex work? Yeah. Where is it? You know? And I didn't know how to access, uh, access outside help. And I didn't really realize how much of a, um, how much of a problem the original trauma was mm-hmm. still because I thought you got no, pro- you're a charming, good looking guy. I thought, you know, you can mm-hmm. get partners, you know, you can get yeah. people attracted to you and stuff. So that's not a problem. Yeah. You know, um, it's probably just the fact you can't connect with people on a deep level is probably just cause you got this busy life and a career and your son and everything. But mm, I knew that there was a problem. And I remember all through the years in meetings, I, I would say it as a joke, but it was deadly serious. Mm-hmm. I would say, I feel like there's this flashing neon sign in my life that says relationships, you know, mm-hmm. I'm not talking about just boyfriend, girlfriend, intimate yeah. or anything like that. Just m- me with my fellow human, mm-hmm. all of them. Um, that's where you got it. That's where the work is, Kenny, because you've climbed that mountain of getting over the booze and the drugs. You're there. Yeah. Great. You know, but there's more, mm-hmm. there's more living. There's more recovery. There's more available. Why go for it? This is good enough. Yeah. Well, because there's more contentment. And there's more joy mm-hmm. and there's more 
you know, there's more ability to, to, to go, just go deeper in my experience here on this earth, right? Yeah. And that seemed like a damn good idea to me, right? Like, so where it was like, well, I've done the minimum now and I'm good. I'm sober. I'm fine. Mm-hmm. It was like, no, it's just not even close to good enough. I mm-hmm. wanted that. I was just hungry for more. Um, and I realized, however, that there was, I just knew, I knew that these relationships and the trauma and the whole world of sort of the murky world of the sexual stuff mm-hmm. was, was just a wound that was just still raw. Yeah. Even though nobody could see it. Mm-hmm. Right. I, 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 I constantly, my pattern in recovery has been in short relationships. Mm-hmm. I get close to somebody, someone falls for me. I might fall for them. I feel good. It feels good. Gushy. Everything's nice and emotional and blah. You know, and then, yeah. and then I just, there's nothing to sustain that because I'm not building relationships the right way. I'm still building, you know, in recovery, I've still been building relationships and adding people into my life selfishly, mm-hmm. right? Not stepping into relationship with people and seeing where God takes us. Yeah. It's like, oh, okay, you're going to fit in my life for this reason. Mm-hmm. So that's going to be good for me, yeah. you know, and you have this available. So I might want to access what you have. So I'm going to put you in my life, mm-hmm. you know, and that's how it kind of is still. I'm still you know, kind of manipulating and puppet on string my old life. And there's a chapter and a, mm-hmm. a reading that, that, again, it's amazing because I was, I know that they made me read that reading yeah. when I was in treatment. And yeah. I know that I read it 150,000 times when I was in treatment. Mm-hmm. But why didn't I pick, how come the, the part about the actor, the self-centered actor <laughs> and me, 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 self, yeah. how come I didn't go, oh, yeah, that's me? Mm-hmm. Because I hadn't hit that level of desperation yet. Well, yeah. Um, I just knew that if I wanted to progress and have any contentment in my life uh, th- and, and have a shot at, you know, successful relationships, that there's more work to be done. Mm-hmm. So the gift of the last five years has been the gift of time. And it's been, what are you going to do with your time? Um, and, and, and the desire to want better for myself. So um, I will say, though, that, that before I arrived at this kind of um, place of uh, understanding that I have now, uh, I was still fighting. Why is life still not, you know, and I was still looking for relief. Mm-hmm. Thankfully, I wasn't looking for the relief in a bottle or a pipe. Um, I was, I was finding relief in sex and in, uh, gambling. Mm-hmm. I, I started to gamble, uh, you know, uh, midway through my recovery, never gambled a day in my life. Yeah. And, uh, within about a six months or a year of that gambling thing, uh, I had a full blown raging addiction in my life, mm-hmm. selling vehicles. I was, I had racked up massive debts. I was, I was starting to spend company shareholder money, yeah. you know, that wasn't mine. Um, I was starting to dig myself into some deep holes and I was doing this all in the cloak of, man, you're such a recovered, strong mm-hmm. stalwart of the program. You're such a good dad. You're such a yeah. good. And, and it was just that buried secret again. Mm-hmm. It was all, you know, here I am 10, 12, 15 years sober, you know, and I got this raging out of control gambling addiction, David, I lost $40,000 my last year gambling. It's out of control, yeah. completely out of control and, and completely unbefitting of a person who claims to have, you know, <laughs> I got such a great program, but I really didn't. I mean, I was, I was somehow picking and choosing where I was going to let God help me. And that's mm-hmm. just crazy arrogance. Mm-hmm. I don't even like to say the word, let God help me. Yeah. I, I invite God to help me. Will mm-hmm. you please? The day that I think I can let God do anything is, mm-hmm. you know, it's a dangerous day for me. Yeah, for me too. Yeah, right. I need to enough. invite God and participate with God mm-hmm. and, and not say that, yeah, okay, God, yeah, you can, sure. I will let you into my life. Just you know, this that's time. pretty arrogant. Yeah. So, you know, um, so anyways, I, uh, I, I really think that this last five years has been about, um, it's been about just kind of looking at and, and, and addressing painful things from my past mm-hmm. that, that needed to be healed. And this isn't necessarily so much 12 step stuff. 
what yeah. I'm talking about right now. This is this is uh, this is sort of where where my path is these days. Mm-hmm. Um, I still go to a meeting every single day, almost. I probably hit five to six meetings a week still. Mm-hmm. I'm really plugged in. I do lots of service, but I just do that because it's like taking vitamins. To be yeah. honest with you, it's really good for me, and I know it to be good for me, and it's mm-hmm. a, it's part of my life. So I do it. Yeah. Um, but I, you know, I, I, I want to, I want to still, David, I've, I want to get to that place where I start to have some success with my relationships. Mm-hmm. And I think in the last year I've started to, um, and it's, it's, it's okay. So I did hit one bottom with drugs and alcohol. Mm-hmm. Okay. But I've had to hit a bottom with gambling. Yeah. Okay. Cause before that I was fighting it mm-hmm. and I was still fighting it. And I think you can simultaneously have, you could be living in the, the beauty of, of, of being recovered from drugs and alcohol, but also still have raging other addictions or addictive behaviors in your life. I think that's true because it's been that way in my, mm-hmm. in my life. It's been that way for me too. It's been that yep. way. And I don't of think course. that it's, it's a promise from God that like once I solve the alcohol and drug problem, it's automatically going to solve other, other, other problems no. too. No. Uh, I think that the quest for me in recovery is to eventually over time have a subtle shift in how I operate. And so I'm still operating in that sort of, um, you know, uh, I'm still not with everything. I'm still thinking I have to hit a bottom mm-hmm. with things, but I don't know if that's necessarily for me. This is really interesting to me is I recognize how important and necessary the bottom was for me to, to hammer home the idea that I'm powerless over drugs and alcohol. Mm-hmm. Now my simple mind would say, therefore, since it works so well with that, mm-hmm. just whatever you're doing, acting out sexually, selfishly or whatever, for example, just mm-hmm. keep doing it. Eventually it'll run its course yeah. and you'll hit your bottom. Mm-hmm. Well, that's just crazy. Cause <laughs> that's kind of going like, good, yeah. yay. I can just continue to be selfish and mm-hmm. find relief that makes me feel good. Um, and eventually it'll just, I'll hit my bottom mm-hmm. and then I'll become so desperate that, but wow, like how about some self love? Yeah. You know, how about some, like, why would you even subject yourself to that? Mm-hmm. If you know that like you're going to have a, a painful turning point mm-hmm. at the end of this behavior, you know, in your life, yeah. stop it now. Mm-hmm. Just stop it now, man. Yeah. So there's still some areas in my life where I have this discontentedness mm-hmm. where I'm not a hundred percent okay with just the quiet yeah. and the still, and I still a hundred percent look for relief, you know? Mm-hmm. And I know, I know that in times like this, where I'm still actively seeking relief un- in unhealthy ways, that these are times when my program attendance is actually saving my life. Yeah because I may not be going there and, and, and getting deeply into what's being spoken or contributing that way, but just by being there, I'm, I'm, I'm plugged into the promise, you know, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm plugged into the possibility, right? And, and the day that I think that I, I don't need meetings anymore, mm-hmm. you know, that's a very dangerous ground for me. So I'm yeah. still very much a part of my program and I, I'm, I'm motivated by just the, 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 the possibility that like some of the healing is starting to, to, to take place in my life now. And I'm starting to now in the last, four or five years and really in the last year because of this pandemic, which I'll kind of wrap up with. Mm-hmm. Um, I've, I've really felt like my recovery has been, um, charged up again, yeah. you know, which is great. Um, and I don't feel like the charge up came from how, how, how painful life was. Mm-hmm. Uh, sometimes you hear people just say, you know, I started to make better decisions just cause I kind of grew up and, and, but yeah. mm, that's not for me. Cause I still make a lot of decisions that I'm 44, you know what I mean? That, mm-hmm. are, that are very ungrown up decisions. Yeah. Um, so I think it's all just a matter of like, for me, it's, it's all about the God faith, uh, relationship piece. Mm-hmm. Um, I still have a very big struggle with the God relationship piece. Um, you know, the closeness to God, I, I find God a little in- inaccessible still. And, mm-hmm. and, uh, but, uh, with the open mind this last year, um, 
because my career has obviously been impacted by the pandemic like everyone else's, yeah. I've, I've found myself with a lot more time and, and a choice. Are you just going to sit there and, 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 and bitch about the, the state of the world, mm -hmm. you know, and do nothing? Mm, I did that yep. for a while, actually. And I can dip into that pretty easily still. But I, um, I just decided that, like, now is a great chance. Like, this is a really good opportunity to, to take a look at this stuff. And it was painful. Yeah. Knowing that, like, that I've never had a relationship with anybody over about two years mm -hmm. is painful to me. It's yeah. painful. So I know that there's faulty uh, patterns still going on. There's, there's some stuff that needs to be fixed. I could definitely, at this point, just say, you know what? It's been great. Mm -hmm. I'm sober. Look at this amazing career I've had, successful. Mm -hmm. Raised a kid. You know, he's great. Um, you know, I don't really have too many problems relating with people mm -hmm. and like, you know, I'm not that angry anymore and stuff like that. And life's pretty okay. Yeah. But that's, that would be lying. Mm -hmm. That would be not the truth. Um, because, because I, there's, there's just more. Um, mm -hmm. and so I don't really know what this year is going to bring me. I know that I'm, I'm definitely changing. I, I feel like this last year I've changed more than, um, any other time in the past 15 years for sure, because when you're raising a kid, you kind of just lock it in. Yeah. You just kind of lock it in on cruise control and you kind of just, you have a schedule and you got to just make it all about your kid. Mm -hmm. And this last year, my kid's gone. That was painful for me to come to terms with because my identity was really wrapped up around being a good dad. Mm -hmm. And so when he was gone, permanently gone out of the house, it was quite devastating. And, yeah. and I remember the day that I, that I did, it washed over me that like, man, you're grieving, mm -hmm. you know? And, uh, I was also, I was also, uh, in my, gifted the gift of time this year i was able to take a look back and and uh and, and and start to look at some of my past relationships and look at those patterns and and what it did though unfortunately well maybe fortunately but it didn't feel very good mm -hmm. was it it filled me with this newfound I th i'm sure it was always there but suddenly i i lifted something yeah. and what i revealed was this oh man you got a lot of guilt shame and remorse about how you lived mm -hmm. you know about the people you hurt yeah. about the about the just the 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 con, you know, the, the effects of your life, that's, it's, it's, you don't feel good about it. And I didn't mm -hmm. feel good about it. I didn't feel good about the way I'd lived and the choices and the people I'd hurt. And, and, uh, so it was, uh, it was a really interesting year for me this year to kind of just go honestly, like, like this is critical, Kenny. No one's again, nobody knows people see you on the zoom meeting every day, people in your life, see your career and all that kind of stuff. So why, why, why would I do it? Right. And I can tell you that pretty much simply it's this, it feels so good on a soul level when I'm able to connect with people in a meaningful way, whether it's helping somebody get sober, whether it's sharing this kind of thing, mm -hmm. whether it's uh, just growing with a couple of best friends, whether it's, you know, um, these are things that I want to participate in that I never really knew were available to me before. I don't know if that makes sense or not, mm -hmm. but the busy life caused me to just not see these things. And some of them were pretty painful. You know, I had to deal with the trauma, man. Like I, I didn't deal with it for all these years and I saw it affect it. I saw it affect my relationships. Um, I saw myself get close. I've had two or three heartbreaks in my life, which haven't helped, mm -hmm. you know, as far as, uh, making me want to be uh, gung ho about like relationships. And, yeah. you know, I, I'm a little jaded yeah. to be honest. And I, but I don't want to be that person who stays jaded. Yeah. Right. I, my goal is to have a long-term healthy relationship. I want to fall in love. Mm -hmm. I want to be a person that someone can fall in love with. Right. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, so, so this year, like I said, is just, I, I discovered yoga this year, which has been really great for me because, mm -hmm. um, it's, and it's not about, to me, it's just about accessing, a a, a, a tangible God experience, mm -hmm. you know, and, and, 
yoga has allowed me to do that because of the connection and the discipline. I, I find anything that kind of gets me moving in a new direction, even if it's just in an hour, um, you know, in a conscious way though, is really, really good for me. Mm -hmm. And, and, and so yoga has been good as far as expanding my mind a little bit and pushing myself and, and, uh, but you know, so I, I, I guess, man, I'm, maybe I'm hitting the wall a bit as far as where, where, where else can I go at this point? Yeah. But it's, it's been great. Yeah. And where, where you can go is, um, like, first of all, I'm just going to say to think that a person, um, that you might not be close to God when you can learn, you can learn empathy and forgiveness for your son's mom, right? Like that, that is being close to God. Yeah. Like there's no way around that. Yeah. It's not about thinking or talking about it. It's about being there. You're right. Right. And, yeah. And, but we do that to ourselves, right? Our brains do that. It says, well, you're not thinking about it enough. Or, or, or we go, that wasn't God. Yeah. That wasn't God. Yeah. Right. But how could, how could we describe that fundamental change in us, right? I, exactly. Yeah. And the, the, I, when, I, when I look back and I, it, God hand at work is what I call it, you mm -hmm. know. Um, and, and sometimes you recognize it in the moment. Like I found it very powerfully. I knew that I was being lifted and carried that week where mm -hmm. the, 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 the courtroom stuff was happening. Yeah. Where my, my, bad my selfish decisions could have equaled a very different outcome. Mm -hmm. Um, that's, that's probably the time I felt the closest to God. And, but interestingly enough, that was the time when, when I, I realized in a very clear way that like, Kenny, you don't have the answers, you know? Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah. And, and man, like I, I can't say that I haven't felt God every day, you know, and I, yeah. that I don't know he's there, but I'm just kind of stubborn. I just, it's hard for me. I just, um, well, it's, it's hard for me because I don't implement enough of the disciplines, you mm -hmm. know, it's, it's my, my biggest problem today. Uh, and, and it's okay that this is a problem because it's, it's, when you're aware of it, it's, it's a pretty good start mm -hmm. is just, uh, the faith piece again. I'm just, yeah. you know, it's the repeated, the, the, the sustained faith. And I don't know who has sustained faith. We all have times when it, yeah. it, it, it slips. Right? I was just going to say that. I yeah. don't know who has it every exactly. day, every minute. Right. But I believe in it. I want yeah. it. You know, I, I, I've gotten over the idea that like being a spiritual person is, is something to be ashamed of Yeah. because I was able to untangle myself Mm -hmm. from my upbringing and from, you know, people's stories as they relate to the religion and stuff and just kind of be mature about it and kind of go, okay, that's not God. Yeah. That's just people, you know, yeah. being people, right? God is there. God is there if you, you know, if you seek him. And, uh, and God, yeah, and God can speak to you a million different ways. Totally. From a million different places, people, things, yeah. like, yeah, it's not limited to our understanding of it. Oh, no. Right? And I, sometimes the rear view is great. Yeah. Sometimes it's it, my faith builds after I kind of piece it together. I'm like, oh, mm. wow. So that okay, you know. Mm. And then you're like the inescapable conclusion that that was that is and was always God. Yeah. Right. And so the God thing to me, I, listen, I grew up in that Christian. We're in a church right now. When I say God, I still sometimes snap to the cross and I think mm -hmm. of the church, right? Yeah. But I also now I'm starting to think that God is everywhere, and that God is available anywhere, mm -hmm. and I don't need to go to a church. I can. Yeah. Right. Again, it's all about me and my motives. I do go to church, but mm -hmm. I also do yoga and I also do healing work and I do breathing work mm -hmm. and I do, um, I'm, I'm open to things that are, that are good for me that other people have told me are good for them. Mm -hmm. And the reason I'm open to it is because I'm hurting, yeah. right? I've got, I've got trauma and wounds that are still open in my life. And, um, I, I guess my goal, my hope is that they don't beat me is that they mm -hmm. don't, that, that not beat me, but that I don't allow them to just kind of remain just softly there. Yeah. And therefore limit myself from fully living, you know, mm -hmm. um, 
Well, fully experiencing the life that you want. Fully experiencing it here on Earth. Exactly. Exactly. And yeah, freedom. It's all it's all about mm -hmm. freedom. Like this last year, like I've lost a lot. I've I've lost a lot. I had one of the top 100 restaurants in Canada for five years in a row. It's an incredibly well celebrated, mm -hmm. praised, awarded restaurant. Very successful. We we did well financially and and uh, you guys were you guys did awesome. Yeah, we did very very well. Yeah. And the pandemic has caused me to have to close that down by choice. Mm -hmm. um, but it's like even though it was my choice and my narrative and my story to tell mm -hmm. and my, ultimately my decision, um, that old still, like, what are people going to think? Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's still there, you know, but, but not the same. It's still there, but it doesn't have the same power of me anymore, mm -hmm. you know, because I've had years of trying to work on this, of, yeah. of, of fighting of what do people think? And, and, and just, man, some of the most simple things in our program, these mantras about like pause, when agitated, helpful mm. are incredibly powerful. And you only know it because if I don't do it all the time, I'm never actually going to understand what they're saying. Yeah. If I never pause when agitated or doubtful, I'll never know what they're saying and I'll always remain skeptical mm -hmm. about the idea. And you'll never really right? pause when agitated no, I won't. or doubtful. Because yeah. I've never convinced myself of the need to it. Yeah. And it's just words on paper. Mm -hmm. And it's so if, if I know that about myself, if I read the literature and I see myself in it, mm -hmm. it's an invitation. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, oh, I mean, you're right there, but like, mm, you know, but mm -hmm. I, and these, I go, Bill, okay, man, I feel you. I see, I get you. I mm -hmm. love the 12 and 12 because it was a book that was written 15 years after he sobered up. Mm -hmm. And, and, and so like God breathed the words of the recovery literature into his pen. I know that. Mm -hmm. And, and he just was the conduit, but 15 yeah. years of working out the implications of the program. Mm -hmm. And he learned a lot about the program. Of course. That God planted in him. He's like yeah. Moses. You know what I mean? Like, honestly, <laughs> yeah. you know, like God gave him these it. commandments and yeah. then he had to actually work them out in real mm -hmm. life. Right. That's, so, um, being in recovery will never mean that, uh, you've got the answers or that yeah. you have it all figured out, uh, at all. Um, it means that you are uh, aware of your imperfections mm -hmm. and your need for uh, help, right? Really? It, it really is that I can't solve this. God can, what do they mm -hmm. say? I'm going to let him. Yeah. Right. And that, thankfully that can look like many, many things. There's mm -hmm. a line in the book that says AAs tread innumerable paths mm -hmm. in their quest to faith. Yeah. I've had innumerable paths towards faith, even in my own recovery. Mm -hmm. Right. And I'm only one AA guy. Right. Yeah. It's like a whole tributary system of different pathways to God though. And, uh, and, and yours has to, too. I've watched yeah. your journey over the years. You I've know? yet to get on a path when it comes to the spiritual life and have it end. No, exactly. It just gets or lead to different. a conclusion. Yeah. Right? It goes somewhere different. It totally right? does because yeah. it just opens up new awarenesses. Mm -hmm. And once that awareness is opened up, guess what? Yeah. We're able then to see more awarenesses because we get to change our mind. The lenses shift, yeah. the wisdom happens. Yeah, exactly. The change happens and we, and we get to live differently. Mm -hmm. So that's the, the essence of living for me and is, is constantly recognizing opportunities to change and then jumping on them, mm -hmm. you know, and I'm not going to do it every time I'm going to, I'm going to sink to relief. Yep. You know, I'm going to, I'm going to sink to the things that, that, that take me out of, you know, the, the, the uncomfortable feeling mm -hmm. I'll do that to the day I die. I really will. But I think that more and more it's God, help me not do that, mm -hmm. you know, show me a better way, you know? Yeah. And eventually it's, you know, I'm hoping that that relief will come from where they say voluntarily choosing for something good mm -hmm. rather than dealing with something bad. Yeah. Cause if I deal with consequences, Hey, I fucking learn a lesson and get some humble pie and it's all good. Yeah. And I get to tell a story about it. Right. But it's <laughs> not as sexy or interesting if I say, yeah, I never really had that problem. Mm -hmm. I saw it coming. 
in my life. Yeah. I saw that I was maybe susceptible to going down that path. Mm -hmm. I got the fuck off of it. Yeah. That's not a sexy story to tell, but it's, <laughs> but it's one that provides you with a pretty good life. Yes. Yeah. Right. And so the, it's just, it's maturity. It's God mm -hmm. revealing himself more to me. It's opportunities like this to share my story and not know what, you know, who's listening to it yeah. and, and where they might be at. And it's uh, just acknowledging my, my, my continued brokenness and my need to, to be continually repaired and renewed mm -hmm. in the program and, and in recovery and with God at the center of that, right? Um, so I do, I, 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 I think more so than ever now, I have a spirit-filled life mm -hmm. and I have contentment, uh, which is amazing because losing my restaurant was, man, that was, it was tough, it was tough. It was tough because I had all those old problems again to deal with. What are people gonna think? Mm -hmm. what are, and, and it stopped mattering as much to me because, uh, man, things have been replaced, you know? The, these kind of opportunities to do this kind of talk are actually good because I get mm -hmm. to actually put it all out there and then kind of go, look how far you've come, mm -hmm. you know? Like I have a, a, this beautiful relationship with my son and with my parents and with my son's mom, you mm -hmm. know? And, I, and I, 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 I don't have a compulsion to hurt myself anymore. Mm -hmm. You know, I want better for myself. And yes, of course, there are things in my life that are still, I'd rather not admit them. Mm -hmm. I'd rather not talk about them. Yeah. I'd rather not talk about my, you know, my, my, things I'm ashamed of. Um, but, but those, those things that I, that are uncomfortable and prickly in my life still, mm -hmm. God, I have to look at it. Yeah. I, well, I don't have to, but if I want to continue to grow, I will. Mm -hmm. Right. And I guess that's where I'm at today is just, I feel, um, like I know more about, uh, the literature and the program than I ever have because I'm so deeply into it all the mm -hmm. time. Um, but I almost feel like, uh, man, you really don't <laughs> here I am. I'm that guy now who says, but I really don't know much about like myself, Yeah, you know, about my, what makes me tick and I'm, I'm learning it and yeah. So dig it, man. Thank you, Kenny.